And now it's time to bait our hooks, cast our nets, drop our poles in the water, and fish for some jokes with Down on the Dock. Welcome to episode 25 of Down on the Docks. My name's Chris Neff. I'm Dave Sarah. And this is Down on the Docks. How are you, buddy? Great. How good. you doing, bud? I'm good. Um, Excellent as always. Every once in a while, I think in life, you need to pick me up. Okay. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, you ever get really depressed and like have a guilty pleasure? And Last like, week. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to get that specific. Well... Oh, you ran out of pot. I remember you called me about this. Oh, yeah. Well, not no, no. I was talking about the documentary for sure. Oh, okay. Well, my point is I've got guilty pleasures that I, you know, look forward to in film, hmm. um, you know, when I'm feeling really down. And Reality I was like, TV. you know, what? Reality TV. <laughs> no, film. Okay. Like, you know, Field of Dreams. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I like how you said film, but then said Field of Dreams. So yeah. Almost sort of like a... Play on words, but you need so. those go-tos. Everybody's got one. And I was like, I think we need a pick-me-up episode. A film of dreams. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. What we need is a feel-good episode. I love it. Down on the docks. Let's hear it. Well, here's the thing. I was, uh, but first of all, everybody that sends us docks, we look at them all. My inventory is getting very big, and we appreciate that. So keep sending those. But I went through um, my catalog, and I was like, wait a minute, this sounds similar to something that I remember watching. And then I flipped on Amazon and I found out uh, this documentary called Billboard Boys. Okay. And I'd seen it years ago. It came out in 2017. Okay. And I said, I remember watching this and I was in a bad mood and it made me right. feel real good. Okay. So I said, I think we need to extend that to our audience. Love it. So I rewatched Billboard Boys. Now, this documentary was uh, made in 2017. It was directed by uh, a man named Pat Taggart. I don't even know if it's a man, actually, because it could go either way. <laughs> yeah, Pat. Ah, uh, the old <laughs> could Pat. Be, could be an SNL situation. <laughs> the um, <laughs> Julia Sweeney did that, just so you know. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the thing that I found interesting about this is I always do research, and I go to IMDb. There wasn't a single IMD review. You know, they like gave it stars, but not like, hey, this is this. You should go watch this documentary. Okay. So I found that zero mind, reviews zero. By, the, by the the critics. Correct. Correct. This, this been Just happening stars. a little bit lately, sort of. Yeah. So I think there were like 43 votes total. And I was like, this can't be right because this is a gem of a film. Well, I did more research and I found out they made this film for $10,000. Sick. Which is impressive. So let's get into it. Was there a... Um, uh, watcher review like um like a rotten tomatoes yeah, like a, i didn't check okay. i just go to imdb cool but i was blown away elitist uh, yeah pretty much so we're gonna open on a vintage tv set and see uh former president ronald reagan i've opened a couple of vintage tv sets myself by the way trying to save a little cash <laughs> or are you making a are you making a, a hiding place for your drugs dude i used to just <laughs> i used to just take sh old shit apart uh-huh as a kid, just take it apart. Yep. And of course, you didn't use anything you learned 
to, to nah yeah okay. I, yeah lose that. yeah no I use right. wire a lot of the times well let me just say it's an old TV set instead of vintage got it and we're you know Ronald Reagan speaking from the Oval Office love it it's 1982 love the uh, Reagan Museum I was just there like not too long ago yes that's right you went with your mom <laughs> and dad yes uh huh um so it's 1982 and the United States is in its worst recession since the Great Depression. How mm -hmm. old were you in 1982? <laughs> I was negative four. Okay. <laughs> That's so I was seven. Okay. So Reagan says, we've come to a turning point. <laughs> I didn't practice we've a Reagan impression, by the way. Well, well my we, friends, uh, we've come to a turning point. Oh, do you want to read the script today? No, no, is that I'm how this is going to go? <laughs> well, no. We're threatened with an economic calamity of tremendous proportions. And the old business-as-usual treatment can't save us. Together, we must chart a different course. So we meet a man from Allentown, Pennsylvania, by the name of Ron Kistler. Well, Ron says, I was unemployed, and I heard about the billboard contest. And I don't know, wasn't working, was looking for work, and didn't have any. So, and then Ron's wife sitting next to him says, something to do. <laughs> Great. <laughs> So the director asked Ron, Ron, how often do you think about the contest? Well, Ron says, not very often. It's part of the past. It's 30 years ago. I don't think it was that big of a deal. In fact, he is shocked that anybody would even want to make a documentary about this. What does the dude look like? Uh, he's an everyman. You know, he's got... You say it all the time. Well, because this Average guy is. dude, every man. <laughs> he's, nice. they, they actually describe him as, you know, a baby-faced looking guy. Okay. But in the new interviews, the present day interviews, he's got shoulder length hair. Okay. Um, Hard-working guy, you can tell. Clean a little shaven. rough around. No, no, he's got a mustache sometimes, sometimes not. A little okay. rough around the okay. edges. Okay. But an every man, you know? So he says, you know, um, when you're up there... You did what you had to do. And when you came down, it should have been over with. Well, Ron's wife says, everything else seems to find, everyone else seems to find it a whole lot more fascinating than we do. Well, remember Phil Donahue? We, we talked about Phil in uh, our 80s episode of um, uh, The Voyeur when he was inter interviewing yeah. Gay Talese. Do you yeah. remember who Phil yeah, Donahue yeah, is? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Biggest yeah. talk show. So that was the guy, okay. Pre-Oprah. He right. was Oprah before the, Oprah. The name was, you know, rings a bell, but I, I don't think I ever watched Phil Donahue. Uh, you were too young. So obviously. all all of the housewives would watch, you know, Phil Donahue, you know, where their husbands are at work. <laughs> and Don't Phil's forget to uh, wash your chicken. Or whatever. I don't Phil know. Hartman did an impression of him on SNL uh, for years. But he says, for the better part of a year, Allentown, Pennsylvania has been receiving international publicity. Well, we meet Harold Foreman, uh, uh, Fulmer. He's the owner of the local uh, radio station that goes by WSAN. And he says, we compare this to Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. Ooh. Some of the magazines say it was bigger than War of the Worlds. Now, are you familiar mm. with yeah. War of the Worlds, yes. the H.G. Wells novel? Yes, yes. Okay. And are you familiar with the 1938 retelling of the World of the Words, uh, Words on the radio that Orson Welles yes. and the Mercury Theater did? Yes. Okay, so back then... And then people thought that it was like a fucking actual thing. Yeah. Didn't, didn't a guy use it? One guy got off. 32 for, people committed suicide. Yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm kidding. No, no, no. Nobody I, died. I was going to say, that there, there were some reports of some shit going down, but I think in the end, we'll take it for whatever it's worth, in the end, there was one guy that was able to use the claim 
uh, because and he ended up like stealing some like gas or something like that. Oh, so he, he actually like, thought it was actual, real, and he was like, one "Hey, actual report, yeah, where he didn't go up to the attendant, yeah, or some bullshit." He's like, "I'm out of here. And I'm fucking the Martians are coming. The Martians are coming." I, yeah. yeah. Anyway, go on. Well, from what I read, that's so fucking hilarious, though. Too. Well, what I, I read, that. learning from this is that that story has kind of been exaggerated over the years. It's not as big of a deal as it as it really was. Now, the thing is, what happened is people tuned in late and they didn't hear them saying, hey, this is a performance exactly. of blah, blah, blah. So, But the guy doing it was like a well-known... Source and Wells. Speaking. He yeah. Was, speak, he was the narrator. He was the narrator. Yeah. So so maybe it wasn't such a well-known voice then, I guess. Well, he was 23 I, at the time. I mean, okay. he was young. He wasn't the star he is now. Or but he was. wasn't like a radio voice. No, he was just, you know... Yeah, yeah he was a, a writer, theater, but... Yeah, theater whatever. actor. Okay. So, oh, okay, okay. So anyway... Next, we meet a man named Mike McKay. He says, all I could say is I'm not coming down there until I get a house. Well, we meet his wife, Linda, and she says he was up on that billboard longer than we were married. So titles up, Billboard Boys. We fade into a dreary, overcast winter day and meet local disc jockey from Allentown and radio station WSEN. WSEN. <laughs> this guy's name is Ned Tetter. Ned Tetter. So Ned says, it wasn't supposed to be this big, international, global, almost year-long thing. It was supposed to be a way to get people to know we had changed our format, look at our billboard, and we would give away a modular home for a sponsor. That's what this was supposed to be, but that's not what it was. So we're going to go back to Allentown, 1982, and he continues. You got to remember, this was ground zero of the Rust Belt. Steel's gone. Mack Trucks is threatening to leave. People were looking for work. People were looking for better times, better days, and that was a big part of this. It's kind of like a Rust Belt fairy tale. Okay. Who's sponsoring this WSAN. WSAN is sponsoring it. With a co-partnership okay. from Love Homes. Okay. Oh, they're the trailer homemaker? Well, let's be nice to call them mobile homes. Mobile home, mobile home maker. Yeah. So back to Reagan on TV. <laughs> he says, I... Uh, well, well, Barbara. <laughs> what's his wife's name? <laughs> Nancy. Well, Nancy, why don't you I re- get I re- on those knees? <laughs> I regret to uh, say that we're in the worst... Economic mess since the Great Depression. And then he pulls out a dollar and he goes, here's a dollar such as you earned, spent, or saved in 1960. And over here, we have a quarter, a dime, and a penny. 36 cents. That's what your 1960 dollar is worth today. What's happened to the American dream of owning a home? Your standard of living is going down. Okay. Now, I love it when presidents use props. Do you oh. remember when George Bush <laughs> pulled out the bag of crack? No, See, I don't I remember. I thought you might be too George, young. George H? George H, the OG. No, I definitely don't so remember him pulling this out. Was prob- remember, the earliest I remember, remember is Clinton. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this was probably 89, 90, and the crack epidemic was just smoking. Mm-hmm. That was four. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, uh, Bush was continuing the war on drugs policy right. that Reagan and it's his Nancy, wife mostly. Well, yeah, that was her whole platform. Say no to drugs. So 
the crack Dare. the crack em- epidemic was out of control and George Bush is sitting in the White House and he pulls up this bag of crack <laughs> and it's <laughs> not like us. a little small bag uh, it's it's like uh, you see the you know it's looks like a pound of crack uh, yeah and he was like this crack, yeah. I can't remember how George Bush talked, don't, was found. Don't, don't say you're not going to do it. I, just, I have to think of Dana Carvey yeah, of doing it first. He says, this crack was found. Bab, why didn't you come in here, Bab? Right outside the White House there you go. by DEA agents <laughs> just last week. <laughs> and, you know, of course. It's some good shit. But, I mean, again, it's like, talk about, like, scaring your audience. It, I've never seen a bag of crack this big before. Right. And he said, of course, the DAA, DEA bought it, which is bullshit. They probably just went into the storage locker that, you know, the CIA had that they were paying the contracts oh, oh, they, they for. I mean? Oh, they bought it like they were like using it for a sting. They bought it. Yeah, dude. That's how yeah, the CIA well, the pays same. for everything. Yeah, yeah. But he, he pretended like, yeah, the DEA just went out and bought this from a crack dealer. Two for me, and it's, one for it's you. It's marked in an evidence bag with huge letters that say evidence. <laughs> so anyway, let's get back to um, the the times. It's 82. Well, it's supposed to. It's, well, they, they actually do say that. What? Marked as evidence. Yeah, I know. But it's like huge evidence letters yeah, on the bag. Yeah. It's like we get it. Yeah, okay. I get you. All right. So inflation's uh, through the roof. You got double digit interest rates. I think they they peaked at nineteen percent. I remember that. I know. Well, not not that I remember, but I remember studying about that. Yes. Yep. Mortgage rates as high. That was as, like the most recent thing I learned in high school. Was oh okay the eighties. They taught you this. Yes. Um, mortgage rates were up thing. up to eighteen percent. I mean, you know, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, of course, unemployment's sky high. Well, if you had a job, and if you didn't already have a house, you weren't going to be able to get a house. So it was a it was a time when people were really questioning the American dream. So next we meet WSAN disc jockey Gene Early Whirly, and he plays <laughs> a song called Sleigh Ride by Loretta Anderson. So <laughs> this time... What do you... <laughs> That's, 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 that's not even close. Early Whirly. So Gene Early Whirly, um, he's like the main disc jockey you're going to yeah. meet in this thing. Uh, but here's what you need to know. WSEN, they were coming off becoming a country music station. Uh-oh. And they were switching into nostalgia. So <sighs> they were looking for something that would make a billboard they could afford stand out to promote this transition. So I mean, how hard or difficult do you think it would it would make it would take this show yeah to go onto public access news <laughs> or or television probably pretty easy this with this day and age we should talk because I remember saying it's about fifteen hundred dollars a month yeah to get on some Korean stations but doesn't everybody just bypass that because of YouTube I mean yeah but there's some there's some well, value this there. does always blow my mind it's like you know like people watch sports. And like, you know, if you're watching major network sports, you're going to see the, the teasers for crap TV, like network TV. Right. And you're like, who the fuck watches this crap? Right. And then you have to realize it's the people that don't have cable and can't afford it. They're still yeah. out there and they're watching Blue Bloods and Scorpion and all this, you know, NCIS crap that's just smashed down their fucking throats. Right. So I don't know. Maybe we could ask somebody in the Discord if they could plug us into a satellite dish, Aurora style, in fucking Colorado. (laughs) 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 I'm all for it. I'm not against it. That's another conversation. Well, anyway, their idea 
to go from country to not oldies. We're not talking like 50s, 60s oldies. We're talking like big band swing. That's yeah. what they're transitioning to. Yeah. They see a market for this music. So That's ragtime, I guess. They come up with this idea of the living billboard. Okay? So cool. they'd be... Uh, there'd be gigantic pouting lips in orange call letters rocketing into view. W-S-A-N, unforgettable. So the billboard shows a pair of red lips, which were meant to remind the listener of their first kiss. Right. So station manager Rick Musselman explains. <laughs> Musselman? <laughs> That's his name? Rick Musselman. Rick <laughs> Musselman on your drive to five. <laughs> so he says, we did this. Because we switched formats to unforgettable, and we wanted a contest that would be what? Unforgettable. Unforgettable. Yeah. <laughs> unforgettable. So, next, we meet James Cunin uh, of People Magazine. Well, he says the contest was reminiscent of a Depression-era flagpole sit uh, and was the latest promotional brainstorm of Harold G. Fulmer III, the multimillionaire owner of radio station WSAM. So Harold Fulmer, this guy's got an interesting story. He's known as the McMillionaire uh, because he started working at a McDonald's when he was in high school, worked his way up to manager, and by the time he was 21, he purchased that exact McDonald's. Sick. So according to Rolling Stone reporter Jeff Shearer, who's going to be a big part of this, because he did this piece on this after it was all over, and the man has got some amazing pros. He says at the time, he was the sole owner of 14 different McDonald's. Wow. He had a hotel, a printing company, Sky King Airways, Cutstown Airport. He owned an airport, this guy. Okay, all right. 1,100 rental properties and some 250 commercial properties. And he was 42, sported around town in a 10-gallon hat, a fat cigar, Sick. and the biggest Western-style suit in the Lehigh Valley. I he was it. six foot four, 300 pounds, and uh, according to Jeff, seemed to have swallowed all of his McMillions for safekeeping. In addition, he owned 140 antique and collectible automobiles, including the Rolls-Royce from Goldfinger. You ever see the James, the original? Yes. Yeah, I don't remember what the Rolls Royce looks like, but nowadays badass. McMillionaire means like you're a bullshit millionaire. Right. Well, this guy did it all this, on this his own. This guy's a fucking tycoon. And it's weird. I went on a deep dive about this guy. Apparently, he was so like business savvy. He found he went through all his McDonald's, and then he was like, "Hey guys, when are you doing all the the selling?" And they were like, "Morning." And he was like, well, I'm going to start selling orange juice and pastries at my McDonald's. Wow. McDonald's is like, that's not our deal. And he was like, well, that's what I'm doing. And then they ended up doing what he did, McDonald's wow. corporate. Sick. So this guy knew what, what he was doing. doing. So next we meet his right man, Mike Kraja. And uh, he described uh, Fulmer as half Horatio Alger and half P.T. Barnum. Okay. You know who P.T. Barnum is, right? The circus man. Yep. Uh, you know Horatio Alger? No. I didn't either. And I did some digging. And he was alive, I want to say, from like 1830 to like uh, 1870 maybe. But he was an author. But he wrote books about kids making it uh, against all odds. And um, he actually wrote a book called Ragged Dick. Cool. 
Yeah. Cool, cool name. It's also rumored that um, he was attracted to young boys. Is like rag and dick? Is that like about chicks period? No, no. Ragged dick. Uh. Not rag and dick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's one of those names I've Trans, heard. Translates period. Forever was Horatio Alger and I had no idea who he was. Cool. The only but Horatio I know. He hung out with a lot of kids. Go ahead. Is, is from... Uh, Romeo and Juliet. That's the only Horatio you I know? I think so. Yeah. Horatio Sands? Who's that? That's a guy from SNL. Okay. Yeah. I know that guy. Okay. Um, well, he didn't think of himself as a promoter, Jeff says. Uh, the guy who was, you know, going around, putting up the signs before the circus comes into town. Um, or excuse me, he does think of himself as a reporter. Oh, okay. <laughs> goes around town. That makes it a lot signs. worse. Yeah. He doesn't bother to explain that he's also the guy who owns the circus, though, very ah, much like P.T. Barnum, like yes. who was the originator of that kind of publicity I in the it. Depression that produced flagpole sitters and marathon dancers. Now, Dave, yes. it's been a while since we've done a Simpsons episode. Are you right. ready to get a little off kilter and maybe go on a Simpsons sidetrack? I'm going to take that as a yes. I think it's time. Have you ever heard the term flagpole sitters? Or Only from that dancers? song, uh, flagpole Fla- sitters. Uh, Harvey Danger. Harvey Danger. Paranoia, paranoia. Yeah. Give me it. No, no, <laughs> no, everybody's <laughs> coming <laughs> to get me. <laughs> Not even Paranoia. Is that the song you're thinking of? Yeah. So, yeah. So, that, a flagpole sitter, I thought. But that t- is titled flagpole sitta. Okay. S-I-T-T-A. Sitta. Mm-hmm. This is, is flagpole. Yeah, this is a flagpole sitter. Uh huh. So I don't think we can call him that anymore. Well, I did a deep dive. Okay. Okay. What is a flagpole sitter? Pole sitting. Yes. I I imagine it's some kind of like sitting on a piece of wood that you put up upright yourself and sit on. Not necessary. And how long? And how long you can sit up there? There you go. So log. It is the practice of sitting on top of a pole. For extended lengths of time, generally used as a test of endurance. So a small platform is typically placed at the top of the pole for the sitter. Led by the stunt actor and former sailor, Alvin Shipwreck Kelly, flagpole sitting was a fad in the mid to late 1920s, but mostly died out after the start of the Great Depression. So pole sitting is actually predated by the ancient ascetic discipline of stylitism. Probably, probably has to go back to like war, wartime, like looking out for how, shit. Well, here, let's play this game. How long do you think it went back? Give me a, a, like a date. I mean, at least back until ships maybe were even there. And then before that, you know, maybe castle top-ish somethings or others. Well, according to this. I don't know. It dates back to calling sit, sitting. Okay. And St. Simeon Stylites, the elder, uh, circa 388-459 AD of Antioch, now Turkey. Cool. He was a column sitter who sat on a small platform on a column for 36 years. Right. So like that was his job for like a certain amount of time. I guess. During the day. I guess. <laughs> so 36 years. In the 20s, in the States, it got a revival and a 14-year-old. That guy but, must have the fucking, some kind of rounded ass ass yeah so his ch- i wonder how what it looks like when he says he has a platform you want to know what his ass looked like no the the platform well, it was a column it was probably a piece of stone okay that's what i'm guessing okay anyway the revival comes in the 20s in the united states and a 14 year old boy uh named william rupert 
uh, broke the pole sitting record of 23 days in 1929. Um, and then, of course, you've got Shipwreck Kelly, who sat on the flagpole. They say either on a dare by a friend or as a publicity stunt. Well, Shipwreck's initial 1924 sit lasted 13 hours and 13 minutes. Weak. And then, it's yep. a weak-ass shit. <laughs> yep. shit's weak. But it caught on. And then contestants stretched that record to 12, 17, and 21 days. Oh, we can get, get the guys that, uh, the, get the nibbler guys on this. Well, Shipwreck. Get, get some nibbler tactics. Shipwreck decided he's going to take the title back. So he sat on a flagpole for 49 days in Atlantic City, New Jersey, wow. setting the new world record. And what year is this? This is 1929. Wow. So the following year in 1930, Bill Penfield in Strawberry Point, Iowa, broke the record with a sit of 51 days and 20 hours until a thunderstorm forced him down. Now, for the most part, Aww. like I said, it was confined in the 20s. And are these poles usually metal? No, I saw some of them. They're wood. Yeah, they're wood. And they've got these little, maybe like four by three platforms, and their legs are dangling over. Oh, so, but they're on a little four by three platform. Did you think they were sitting on the pole up their butthole or something? I wasn't sure how small the platform was. Four by three. Yeah. All right, that's not bad. All right, well, post-1930 incidents and records. You ready for these? Sure. From 1933 to 63, Richard Dixie Blandy, claimed various records as champion at 77, 78, and 125 days until, unfortunately, he died in 1974 when the pole on which he was sitting collapsed. So um, I guess that's a good way to go out, though. Yeah. You know? I mean, if that's like your hobby or dream. It was his life. Yeah. Yeah. In 1964, a new record of 217 days was set so in he Alabama. And he died. Well, the one, fucking one pole the, fell down. One of the guys died. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, um, new record, 1964, 217 days by wow. Peggy Townsend Clark in Alabama. Female? Yep. Whoa. And then from November... So what do they do? They, like, throw food up to them? They... You, it, you either have people, like, hoist a, yeah. a pulley up to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, keep in mind, you're shitting, you're pissing. Yeah. You got jack-off juice you got to get rid of. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Something's got to take yeah. that down to the ground. You, just sque- <laughs> you hear the squeaking? <laughs> the pulley. The spe- pole squeaking? And it's like, uh, and then that's, maybe that's why the last one went down. Maybe that's why the last one Because it was the bucket full yeah, of cum? Yeah, just... The- <laughs> No, not bucket full of cum. It was the friction of the hand, like motion, the the sway, the swing back and forth, uh, and took it down. I don't know. Thinking of Peggy, what's her whatever say? Peggy Townsend Clark. Yeah. All right. Well, from That's November her. eighty-two to uh, January eighty-four, four hundred and thirty-nine days, eleven hours and six minutes. H. David Warder sat on a pole to protest against the price of gasoline, which I is love it. apropos for this <clears throat> yeah. time that we're talking about. Like, how dare you! Now, this is super interesting. Okay. They talked about these dance marathons. And I had a small... Uh, Sick. I remember on, these. Yeah. I had an understanding of these because I'd watched the, the famous movie, They not, Shoot Horses, not, Don't yeah. They? Have you yeah. ever seen it? Uh, no. So it's Jane Fonda. I remember Hairspray, though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, the kid with John Travolta from like 10 years yeah, ago? Not for, no, not, not from 10 years ago. The original Hairspray okay. with uh, Seth, Sarah Jessica... Wait, what's her name? Sarah Jessica Parker? No, no, no. Sally Jesse Raphael. Sally Jesse Raphael was in Hairspray? 
The original one, yeah. Oh, the OG. Ricky Lake. Ricky Lake. Okay. Ricky Lake. Ricky Lake. I gotcha. I didn't see either one yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. So, dance marathons. Uh, there's this movie, Don't They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Okay. Well, that was based on a book, and uh, I'll get to it later in this conversation, but that was my first uh, understanding of dance marathons. And it's an amazing film. In fact, I tried to rent it over the weekend, and Amazon didn't have it, so I'm a little pissed. How much would they usually give away? Well, we're going to get to that. So they were events which people dance or walk to music for an extended period of time. They started as contests in the 20s and developed into entertainment during the Great Depression. Now, they still do these, but they limit them to like 12 to 14 hours for like charity events. Okay. A far cry from the thousand hour marathons they did in the 30s. So, right. yeah, fuck that. Yeah. According to Professor Carol Martin of NYU, the revival of the Olympic Games created a widespread interest in feats of strength, endurance contests, and world records that led to the invention of these dance marathons. Well, also, it's a depression. People don't have anything to do. You know? So, on Feb yeah. February 18, 1923, Ollie Finnerty and Edgar Van Olfen set a record by dancing seven hours without stopping in Sunderland, England. Wow. Well, 12 days I later. Like gonna, I feel like we can kill that these days. Buddy, they could kill it back then. Yeah. 12 days later, dance instructor Alma Cummings set a new record at the Audubon Ballroom in New York. She danced continuously for 27 hours with hell, six different partners. This was like yeah. the gangbang of yeah. the 20s. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Well, her, her record was broken three weeks later and at least nine other times wow. across the United States. So as the 20s faded into the struggling 30s, dance marathons boomed and offered cash prizes equivalent to a year's salary. Whoa. They provided it. contests and spectators food, shelter, and the opportunity to earn cash prizes when people didn't have any money. And they were yeah. just looking for handouts for yep, meals. Yep, yep. Well... In uh, her book, Dance Marathons, Performing American Culture of the 1920s and 30s, Carol Martin writes, in their heyday, dance marathons were among America's most widely attended and controversial forms of live entertainment. Ah. The business employed... Like television? No. Oh, no live, is, live. But I thought some of them were televised. No, this is way before TV, buddy. Yeah, yeah. But I think like later in the 50s and 60s, no, they, they started doing these also. No, they did no. not. And I'll tell you, oh, we'll get to fuck? it. We'll get to why. Oh. So the business at that time employed an estimated 20,000 people as promoters, MCs, floor judges, trainers, on-staff nurses, and contestants. Wow. At this time, nearly every American city of 50,000 people or more hosted at least one endurance marathon at the peak of its craze. Woman, women, they constituted 75% of ah. the participants. So by the late 30s, dance marathons had faded out from the cultural landscape entirely. The idea of a dance marathon changed for the contestants in the 30s due to the Great Depression boom. The contests were poverty-driven, and the people were desperate to win the grand prize. Huh. So um, yeah. they were at Madison Square Garden. Uh, they do say smaller cities didn't have as many social issues compared to the contests in larger cities. Those small... Uh, promoters. Oh, so what does that mean? Like integration? I would assume so. <laughs> I would assume a lot of that. Yeah. Um, though promoters made less money in smaller towns, they looked for a place where a large crowd could fit in for the dance marathon 
and the local community would then help advertise. Yeah. Well, most promoters were known to have been shady guys. Of course. Okay, not paying <laughs> Nothing's for, changed. Yeah, not paying for the event bills and ditching the contest. Yeah. Yeah. Contestants after it was over. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, a few promoters like uh, Hal Ross made efforts uh, for the events and paid his bills. Now, here are the rules and formats. Okay. Participants had to remain upright and moving for 45 minutes out of every hour. So you were allowed a 15-minute break. Um, a live band played at night, while a radio or record player often just played during the day. So contestants were expected to dance full out during the heavily attended hours. Uh, I don't know what full out means, yeah. but you see, I saw some videos yeah, of these like, guys, and they're just, just doing, rocking back. Yeah, and forth. they're just rocking. Pretty yeah, there's much. like, there's like, they, they, I'm telling you, they they brought back for sure. They brought it back, like in the 50s and 60s. You saw it somewhere because high schools. Well, maybe television and movies are lying about it mm -hmm. and just putting them in because they were actually just a product of the. 30s and 40s. Yeah. But um, I could have sworn at least, well, you know. Every few hours, a horn would go off. Yeah. And couples were allowed 15 minutes to rest in beds that were actually set up on the dance yeah, floor. Yeah, little cots. Yeah. I remember. I've seen pictures. Yeah. So they segregated the, crazy. the rest areas uh, by sex. Thank God. So contestants trained themselves to instantly drop and power nap for like wow. 15 minutes. Sick. Um, here's, this is great. Women who did not give up were giving smelling salts and sometimes slapped. Yeah, good. <laughs> so male contestants who were slow to wake up were often dunked in a tub of ice water. Wow. Uh, this is weird too. At times, couples were tucked on dog chains together like prisoners. Mm. Now, cot nights... Uh, that's when the beds from the rest areas were pulled out into public view so the audience could watch the contestants even during their brief private moments. Those were huge popular side events. What are you doing tonight? I'm just going to go watch some people sleep. Yeah. You want to come? Yeah, I'll yeah, bring exactly. a blanket so I can... That's pretty, it's kind of creepy, buddy. <laughs> it's, it's fucking really it's creepy. Like a, it's just like a big slumber party. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's kind of fun, I guess. Well, most marathon promoters fed their contestants up to 12 times a day. So, nice. well, not nice when you have to eat standing up. Wow. Um, so they were it's probably better for you. They had to shuffle their feet and eat. That was the rule. Um, wear diapers, I imagine. I'm sure you're going to get into all that. They weren't wearing diapers. Although the meals were simple food like eggs, oatmeal, and toast. Um, in a time of great hunger, food was a powerful and inducement you know to get these people to show yeah, up in the fucking depression era, but sure. many contestants reported that despite the constant motion they still gained weight because they were being overfed oh <laughs> so, <laughs> oh geez i mean how often were these were these things happening that like, 12 times a day they were getting fed but yeah but like for how long i don't know how long it takes to do uh, uh a jig okay <laughs> i mean a two-step i don't know what they're called uh yeah so Here's, here's how the, the admission worked. Once you paid your admission, you could stay as long as you liked. Mm -hmm. So marathoners took an almost theatrical role for spectators as spectators gained a sadistic sense of pleasure from watching participants physically suffer. Yeah. Dancers could often be seen dozing off. I saw a video of this. Uh. 
this guy's dancing with this chick. And they're like, how's Sally doing? And she's just like, all right. And he's like grabbing her because he's like, the rule is if your knee hits the floor, you're out. He's like, wake up, wake up. I love it. So yeah, uh, you're disqualified if your knees hit the floor. So to encourage laggards, you know, to keep moving, the judge uh, sometimes used a ruler to go flick the backs of their legs. Wow. So um, tasks such as eating, bathing, shaving, and reading the paper could be done while dancing. So they're literally doing all this, like brushing their teeth. And, <sighs> you know, Poor people. Dude. Well, there was a star that emerged from this era by the Who name. Making, for sure making so much money. They have to be making money doing it. Like, what are they making money from, though? Just the people coming in. They got Just, nothing to do. How much? So how much? Were the, uh, wow. hey, give me two bits. You're in for the night. Yeah. You know, I don't know how it worked. Yeah. I would have guessed a quarter got you in. Aye, aye, aye. So um, the the most famous of these uh, marathon dancers was a woman named June Havoc. Okay. And she described how contestants shaved on stage. Right. Wrote like, <laughs> imagine that. Give me a dip. I got to get my beaver. <laughs> so, <laughs> contestants wrote letters, washed themselves and ate, and even had sex under blankets on the dance floor. Ooh, so I like it. Yeah. Uh, as the marathon wore on, contestant and stamina withered. Uh, they would be forced into foot races or risk elimination. Now, I remember this. It's a huge okay. part of the don't shoot horses, don't they? Okay. So they'd make them run these laps around. Oh, and like God. the last one that didn't make it, they got cut from you know oh, the dance. So competitors also were sponsored by local businesses to generate cash. Yeah. So, like, you'll see somebody on the back of somebody shirt. It'll say, Cotta's Love Uphills, <laughs> you know, or something weird like that. Um, they also, marathoners, they would sell autographed picture postcards of themselves to fans at a dime. And cool. um, dancingly yours is Aww. how they would sign those cards. So the audience stayed for the contest as long as they desired after paying oh, 25 cents. There you go. During the Great Depression, many Americans wow. dealt with the issue. 25 of, cents back then. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good money. Yeah, I mean, I'm not great with math, pretty, but I'm guessing that's good. five bucks, maybe 10 bucks to get in. Pretty good money right there, dude. So um, these things, though, would last for weeks and months. So if you dropped in a quarter, yeah. you could stay for a week. Yeah, but you yeah, once you go out, you have no in the outside. Hey, let me see a stamp. Do they have the fucking the, the holographic stamp that like they didn't the, have us? Yeah, UV stamp. Yeah, they just slapped you with a ruler, and if yeah. you came back and the mark was still there, they're like, "Yeah, you're good. You can come back in." Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Um. So the other thing is, is that a lot of like the dancing contests were rigged. They were staged. Oh, and the Everybody outcomes. Was, some people were on strings. Yeah, the outcomes were oh, really. Yeah, but the, on strings. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. What do you What do you mean, like stage, like puppet masters? Yeah, no, like well, stage, stage, like that, set up. Yeah, yeah, not like fucking like okay, like well, how do you set it up? No, like they were staged, like they were rigged. Right, but how do you <laughs> rig it? What do you mean? You rig it because you're the fucking owner and you're like, Sally, take a dive. Oh, somebody's a, got money on you. They're taking dives, yeah. Staged, rigged. You okay. still think they have strings on them and you're asking me how do what? they rig the people with strings? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just thinking like if you thought you had a good chance of winning it, what would be the incentive to drop people out? People were betting on the side. Yeah, yeah. You know, where there's gambling, yeah. people got to fucking, you know. It makes sense, man. Yeah. 
So I realized the gambling aspect until you just mentioned it right now. Yeah. Um, at the time of the dance marathon boom, many churches still considered dancing sinful. Yeah. Social and footloose. <laughs> footloose. Look, look, man. We just want to dance. Ah, so. I just want to dance. It's like dazed and confused also. I've never seen that. Wow, great Everybody one. says it's amazing, it's and I one. turn it on, and I'm like, don't get it. It's a great one. So anyway, social dancing was still scandalous enough for promoters to call dance marathons by the more palatable name of walkathons. Cool. So when the church comes down, you're like, we're not holding a dance. We're just having a walkathon. It's a walkathon. You're doing the, you're doing the quick walking shit. You know, the the rules to, you know what the rules to quick walking are? Foot to toe. No, you just have to have one foot on the ground at all times to yes. speed walk. Okay. That's the rule. Okay. I think that's the only rule in speed walking. Yeah. You can't have more than one or less than one. Less foot. than one. So movie theaters were also getting pissed off because they were like, hey, you're taking away all our business. Um, so as the dance marathon wore on and contestants became exhausted, contestants engaged in full body contact rather than more distant social dance positions. This increased the feeling among some that dance marathons were licentious. Ooh, what does that like, mean? Probably. I don't even know what that word means. Yeah. I don't even know either. Sounds creepy. Yeah, licentious. I think it just means fucking. Oh. <laughs> so anyway. I mean, it sounds like Satanistic. Maybe. Um, some objected for humanitarian reasons. They believed it was wrong to charge money for the dubious privilege of watching people suffer. Uh, I mean, there's no way this would work today. Extreme right. fatigue could compromise contestants' mental states and cause them to act out in disturbing ways. Uh, police also believe that marathons attracted an undesirable element to their towns. Uh-huh. Oh, those type, huh? Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, on April 14, 1923, Homer Morehouse, yeah. age 27, collapsed and died on the dance floor after dancing with his partner for 87 consecutive hours. So Boston banned marathons boston band marathons they were like no more dance marathons should have held that uh it, yeah. <laughs> they should have kept kept that fucking should have kept that lawn <laughs> for as long as they could have in 1928 gladys lens danced for 19 straight hours at a seattle marathon despite being punched in the face by a partner who appeared to be suffering from fatigue induced psychosis. <laughs> yeah. Nice yeah, excuse, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's crazy, officer. I crazy. Swear to God. I, I, my blood sugar's oh, low. I had shit. to give her a bloody lip. Oh my God. So the Did couple. You try this pasta, you break your tooth on it. <laughs> <laughs> so fucked up. Okay. Well, the couple received fifty dollars for coming in fifth, while the winning couple made a thousand dollars. That's a lot of fucking money. Yeah, man. So, uh, Lens, as a result, she attempted suicide. Oh, yeah, wow. that's not cool. Yeah. So at this point, Seattle banned marathons. Okay. Wow. <laughs> this is getting crazy. Okay. Over time, the novel... I told you, this is a Simpsons episode. This is a long, this is a long Simpsons episode. You really took the ball and ran with this well, one, Well, here's what you? happens. When I go deep, like you, I told you I do on Wikipedia, right. I want to share that with people. Okay, let's hear it. Let's hear so, it. Uh, I'm, I'm, th I'm extremely interested now. All right. So dance marathons wore off. And uh, in the 30s, many local authorities and municipalities, they just completely are like, no, no, no. We're done with this. 
So professional performers began to join the dance marathons and competed against authentic amateurs. Um, notable people from the dance marathon craze. Ever hear of uh, Callum DeVillier and Vonnie Kuczynski of Minneapolis? Nope. Well, they took first prize in a, in a marathon in Somerville, Massachusetts after dancing for five months straight okay. in 1933. Okay. Guess how much they won? 50 grand. No, dude. $5,000. Thousand bucks. Wow. A headstone in the showman's pretty good, rest. Pretty good, actually. A, sh- a headstone in the showman's rest section of Minneapolis Lakewood Cemetery reads De Villiers, world champion marathon dancer, 3,780 continuous hours. Wow. Well, remember June Havoc? I told you there yes. was going to be a star from this. Well, she was a Broadway star and she turned to uh, professional uh, dance marathons at the age of 14. Her longest dance was reportedly 3,000 hours or more than four months of staying on her feet and sleeping only in those 15-minute intervals that we discussed. Well, she wrote a play. That's crazy. Called Marathon 33 based on her experiences. Now, novelist and screenwriter Horace McCoy, he worked at a bouncer at several of these dance marathons. Okay. He used his experience to write the book, They Shoot Horses, Don't They?, which was, of course, adapted into the film of the same name, directed by Sidney Pollack. It's a must-watch if you've never seen it. Okay. Singer Anita O'Day dropped out. Wait, of how often do they get these 15-minute uh, things? Every two hours. Every two hours, 15 minutes. Yeah. Crazy. So what is that? 30 minutes every four hours. Do math on that. Eight. How many hours yeah. are you sleeping? One hour first? every eight minutes. Uh, one hour every eight hours. Wow, so you're only getting three hours of sleep in a 24-hour cycle. Essentially. That is nuts. Wow. <sighs> it's doable, though. <sighs> it's, yeah, for maybe a week. <laughs> or apparently more than what yeah. these guys are doing. All right, let's keep going. Sing- singer Anita O'Day dropped out of sc- a school at age 14 to become a professional marathon dancer. Her dance career ended two years later when a truant officer spotted her and sent her back to school. Her last big event was in Springfield, Illinois, where she and her partner danced for 97 days and came in second. So as I mentioned... Jesus Christ, dude. That's so fucking crazy. Yeah. What are those... You must be reading also. You're reading and dancing. You're, You're listening to radio and dancing. Was well, there even radio question. back then? There must have been, yeah. Of course. What do you got to do if you got to use the pisser or the shitbox? Well, I mean... Do they bring it out? Probably can, not. Can't you like just like go like dance to the shitter? <laughs> well, but here's so the thing. Do then. I guess that they're giving him if they're giving him sleep breaks. I, maybe every other one you go like you have to just like go and take a shit real quick and then you go sleep. Oh, it comes out of your <clears throat> your time. Your yeah, shit time then, comes out of your yeah, sleep and time. And then you lag a little bit to the dance floor. Yeah, I I would be on it on a one t- chicken dance. I on. bet you the other thing. I bet you their bodies figure it out a way. To take shits every three days. Okay. You know what I mean? Maybe. No, it's totally possible. They're probably getting like military grade food that's already makes you constipated. Probably. Uh, well, they're eating a ton of carbs too. You know, yeah. they're bulking up. Yeah. All right. So let's get back to uh, a man by the name of John DeBella. Don't forget, we we're doing a podcast on Billboard Boys. Yeah. This has nothing to do with it. We're back. Are we back to we're it? Back to Billboard Boys. <laughs> That ends the Simpson episode. <laughs> so John DeBella, he is a local Philadelphia radio personality, which is next door to Allentown. And he says a big part of radio uh, contests 
uh, and a big part of morning radio is wacky contests. So they begin to build out the contest at this time. Uh, and at that time, it was totally unheard of. So we get our first look at these guys. Um, and you see Mike McKay. He's in a poncho and he's smoking a cigarette and he's on top of the billboard. Uh, newscaster comes in and reports on the scene and says, day after day, week after week, month after month, they wait. Three men living on a billboard in Allentown, Pennsylvania. What are they waiting for? Each is waiting for the others to say, I've had enough. I'm coming down. The one who stays up there the longest wins an $18,000 mobile home. Well, remember the sponsor I was telling you about? That's the company called Love Homes. Well, we see a Love Home mobile home. It ain't much, okay? It's a okay. cozy comfort home is what they call them. It's a manufactured home, which means it's pre-made. You just drop it on a foundation. Right. So, Mike. How did they used to move those back in the days? Uh, With horses? <laughs> Dude, it's 1982, okay? We have. Oh, no, oh yeah, we're back to billboards. Oh, did you think that we were doing mole homes and the, the dance-offs and the marathons? Idiot, yeah. <laughs> okay. So. What was in love? What was love's? That's their brand name. Okay. Love Homes. Love Homes. Okay. You'll love our homes and you'll love us. Oh, boy. Okay. Something like that. All right, we got it. So, Mike, you know, um, don't forget, this Mike fella, not Mike McKay, the contest. Right. Mike, he's Fulmer's number t- number one or number two. What's Are you the number one man? Are you the right-hand man? Are you number two? That's a good point. It's you, like Austin Powers. He's yeah. number two. Yeah. You, no, uh, isn't number one your number one? You're my number one guy. We're going to say he's the number one. Yeah. So he's the number one to Fulmer. Depends on who, you, what perspective. <laughs> your right hand man. Yeah. Right hand man's your one man. Your left hand man's your number two man. Yeah. If you're the third person in line, you're the second person. I'm glad we've had this conversation. So anyway, Mike says <laughs> we had meetings. <laughs> we had meetings like, okay, we're going to have to write up a contract for these contestants. Okay. You know, what are the rules going to be? Like, how do they shower? Okay. How do they eat? Right. We're back to flagpole yeah. problems here. Yeah, yeah. How do they do anything, right? Right. WSAN, you'll love to live with this. Official contest rules. You ready to hear from them? Let's hear it. Beginning at 12.30 p.m. on Monday, September 20th, 1982, we will place three contestants on the platform of a billboard overlooking the exit entrance ramps from MacArthur Road at Route 22 East in Whitehall, Pennsylvania. Ah. Uh. Number two, these three contestants will be required to live in a designated space on the platform of that billboard. Uh They cannot leave their designated space nor the billboard at any time. The contestant who lives on the billboard the longest will win a brand new two bedroom Uh manufactured home from Love Homes in West Coastville. The (laughs) home will include a full kitchen with appliances, living room with walk-in bay window, dining area, Full bath, carpeting throughout, self-storage, storm windows and screen, and cedar siding. Wow. Now, here's the thing. You get the cedar siding? You get the cedar siding. Wow. There's three rules to this contest. Uh I think there were more, but I paused it, and this is all I could see. Okay. So I'm guessing there were more rules. All right. Now, the contestants, they're given a tent, a telephone, and basically 20 square feet to call home. 20 square feet. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. They get a rope. This and is a, on a billboard. Uh-huh. Wow. They get a rope and a bucket. Okay. All right? Rope so a, we know what that's for. <laughs> you tell me. 
either pooping or <laughs> scooping. <laughs> You know I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. So, so there's since there's very little room uh, for anything else, they had to assign crews of support teams for the three con- yeah. contestants. Yeah. People's job it was to deliver the food. Amazing. And help with the scoop. Amazing. Or the poop. Ugh. What they literally said: clean up and removal of wastes. Ugh. So, can you imagine just being like, "Hey guys, just so you know, <laughs> I've been really backed up. Sorry Ugh. in advance." Um. On some level, it's got to be. We got a log jam up here. I'll see you next week. It's got to be sort of fun, I guess. So, um, they the contest specified they couldn't have booze, pussies, dope, pussies, or TV sets. Now, when they say dope, I would assume they meant heroin. From back then, yeah. Uh, so the eighties, eighties dope. I think eighties dope is is weed. Okay, you're probably right. Um, Yeah, man. So they can't bother another contestant, and they can't come down. Um, except for sponsors and an occasional reporter, no one else can go up. So they give them all telephones. So they've got their, each has their own telephone What line. is this, dude? Come on. Yeah. They're not, bro, they're not uh, like cell phone telephones, right? No, they're old fucking they're, they're, rotary dialers. Yeah, yeah. But, they, you know. Rotary dialers. Yeah, they got the fucking long cords going all the way up there. Yeah. The billboard scaffold itself it's eight feet wide, 48 feet long. Perfect. Now it's been divided up into three sections. And how tall is of a platform is this? Uh, it's got to be at least 25, 30 feet up in the air. Sick. It's up there. Sick, dude. The so or- cool, actually, dude. Um, the, so it's much. also divided into three equal sections Okay. with waist-high partitions. Waist-high partitions. Yeah. Sure. So... The organizers at WSAN wanted the contest to last long enough to draw attention, but not forever. They figured that by discouraging human interaction, they might keep the contestant uh, to a re- or the contest to a reasonable length. Yeah, like they don't want them to start like a community up there. They're like, <laughs> like uh, can you guys bring up some soil so we can start a hydroponic system? I don't even think they knew what hydroponics were back uh, then. Whatever. Uh, well, contestant Dalton Young, he says they gave us a sleeping bag, uh, a portable radio, a phone, okay, cool, and a portable shitter, and that was yeah, pretty much it. What's a portable? What is that? Just like a, a portable pe- shitter? Just a, a piece of metal that looks like a toilet? Like no, a, I think what they were like a bedpan. No, I don't think they were shitting in buckets. They don't show it, but I I remember reading somewhere that they were chemical toilets. Remember those? You ever been in a mobile home yeah. and like you, you look down and it's got that blue piss yeah. water? Yeah. And it's all chemical. Yeah. I'm assuming they gave them, gave them little private chemical uh, shit boxes. Little yeah. uh, outhouse. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, that's pretty fucking good life right there. Yeah. Um, well, one of the guys that works there that says, really, on a billboard, there's only so much you can put up there. You can't put a hot tub up there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, so thanks. thanks, no, thanks. No, no shit. It. Yeah, no shit, man. <laughs> so old Ned Teeter says, I was on the air the evening we announced the contest, and we had a little light, a, yellow, a little you know yellow light that would let us know the request line was popping. And he said it just started blowing up and uh-huh. would not stop flashing. So we meet Dalton Young, okay. one of the contestants, in the present day. Uh, he's sitting with his mother, and he says... Uh, I got home straight from the military and I was like, I don't want to do anything. And I heard about this contest and my mom says, you got to enter it. So 
he entered because his mom actually entered him. So she typed, man. she typed on one eight and a half uh, by 11 piece of paper, just like a standard eight by 11. Um, I could live indefinitely on a billboard. She did it twice on one sheet and then ran off 500 copies, cut them in half <laughs> and sent off a thousand entries. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how they used to do it back in the day, man. Of course. And he thought you that was... Your, what was it like in... Uh, they would get the uh, in uh, Christmas story when when they go to the movie theater. Yeah, they kept getting the gravy boat. Oh, next week you're gonna get your plate or whatever. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. I need to rewatch that. Yeah, no, you, you, no, you don't. You watched the sequel? No, I didn't see it, but I yeah. heard it's okay. Yeah, for I heard kids. it's solid. Um. So anyway, he cranks out a thousand, and he says, "I thought that was a lot until I heard how many Ron and Mike entered." Oh, God. Now, keep in mind, you can enter as often as you like. Right. Okay. Well, Ron. We got over 75 million. Ron's father had a teletype machine. So they type out Ron's statement. Because you have to put in like an essay, 25 words or less. Right. Ron says, due to the high cost of living, I may never be able to purchase a home of my own. Right. So they print it up on the teletype. Spits out 4,000 of them. Wow. Uh, he said the actual number was 4,004, and that's what we sent in. Sweet. Well, according to Mike, the chance to win it big and everything just didn't exist. So how many contestants were they taking? They're taking three. Three contestants. To and have, as often as you like. To have 20 by 20, you said? To, to, no, 8 by 48 divided by 3. Got it. Okay. So you're basically getting what? Got to, it. T- 12 square yeah. feet, yeah, maybe yeah, yeah, something like yeah, that? Yeah. 16? So 16 by 8, even not less. Not bad, not bad. So the, the, what they're saying here is, is that there was no reality shows back then. Yeah. So there wasn't The Voice, no Ninja Warriors. Um, so <laughs> okay. this was exciting. Yeah. And then yeah, I started yeah. to think about it. I'm like, I got to double check this. Because what about Star it's Search? It's good for the whole city. But what about Star Search? You remember that with Ed McMahon? Yeah. Well, they're correct. It didn't debut until 1983. Wow. So technically, from what I could find, there was no reality show. Sick. Well, Linda Johnson, that's Mike's uh, wife, uh, ex-wife actually she said uh, Michael wanted to why. make sure that he got picked so we made a lot of entries well remember the guy Jeff I was telling you about who wrote this Rolling Stone article Okay, I really want to give him his due because he can write he says it was one of those grey autumn afternoons when the sky turns the color of machine parts Okay. Mike McKay and his wife Linda were tooling home in their five-year-old Ford Granada listening to WSAN. WSAN. <laughs> Just explain in 25 words or less why you want to enter. And the voice on the radio said, last one down wins. And shit, McKay thought, why not? He was made for this kind of stuff. At 31, McKay figured that the only way he'd ever be able to afford a home was to get one for free. When he got home, he scrawled out his 25 words or less entry. It was only four words. Any huh. guesses? Uh, 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 suck on my dick. <laughs> nope. I need a home. I need a home. Damn it. <laughs> so married just a year, McKay worked as, um, uh, McKay and Linda, they were married at the time. They worked as house parents caring for three retarded children. Yay. Well, Back in the old days, when it was cool to say retard children. Yeah, that's good for them. Linda I'm says, glad that they, no, honestly. Yeah. Well, Linda I says, say yay because people need to be taken care of. Yep. Well, Linda says, when they heard about the contest, they wanted to help out. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they, <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming she says, when they heard, she means the retarded kids. Yes. Well, apparently they put them to work. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> McCain <laughs> needed a strategy. Let's, let's be sensitive. To ensure that his name would be drawn and the one he hit upon was overkill. So he ordered a rubber stamp with, I need a home. Uh, engraved on it and used it 7,000 times until the words became an incantation. I'm assuming they didn't turn these retarded children into slave kids. No, of course They're not. probably just like, fold some. If you get tired, go yeah. have a popsicle. Yeah, yeah, We're not yeah, going to exploit yeah. you. you know, yeah, yeah. So anyway. it, just, it draws attention. It's good. So It draws news. According to Linda, one person would cut it and the other person would fold it and then we put it in a bag. Cool. Well... <laughs> it doesn't fit. We need to refold them. It's all the best. It's all crinkled and we shit. We got more popsicles in the fridge. You guys need a break. This one, yeah. this one has pistachio nuts all over it, all pistachio shells. Um, three weeks later, McKay felt more secure, but he still wasn't satisfied. So he shuffled over to Love Homes with a fistful of entries. And the person there said, Oh, you're going to need a lot more than that if you oh, expect to yeah. win. Oh. So every day People for the next like, week, yeah. McKay showed up at WSAN with two, sometimes three, shopping bags full of entries. I feel like that's already spending more money than it was worth. It's just, I mean, it's just rubber. Where, where it's a rubber print, stamp. It's paper oh, uh-huh. and free child labor. Oh, they that's, made the, that's right. Is. They made the rubber stamp. Yeah. So I uh, guess how many times he entered? How many times altogether? 25,000. Four close, 47,000. Wow, yep. dude. Linda says he feels this is the only way he's going to be able to get a house. Well, the total entries received. Take a guess on how many they got from the town. <sighs> okay, a town of how many would you say? I don't know. 25,000 people, maybe 40. I'm wow, guessing. okay. Probably 50,000. <sighs> okay, maybe they got you know 300,000 entries. Double it, and you are correct, 600,000. Okay, okay, so let's do some math. Okay. If he did, if Mike entered 47,000 times, yep. and there's 600,000 entries, yep. three, two, one, quick math, Dave, what percentage Ooh. does McKay have of the total entries? It's about and 30%. Nope, it's 12.76. Half, yep. half of 30%. Yeah, almost. Ish, yeah. So they show this stack of entries. I had to do it one more time. They just dump them out, yeah. and it's massive. And Linda says, the day of the drawing, we went to the radio station, and we're just standing there with the rest of the crowd. Well, guess who they have to pick out the winners? Local chief of police of White Hill Township. They got to make sure this thing's on the level, right? So he pulls 10, and the first 10 he pulls says, I need a home. Okay? So... In other words, McKay's in. It worked. Wait, what? Wait, say it again? McKay's rubber stamp said, I need a home. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, so oh, I need a home. Yeah, The yeah, first yeah. 10 drawings all said, I need oh, a home. Oh, shit. Oh, so God. apparently they didn't know how to mix shit. Yeah. Oh, fuck. It's such a headache to even go through all that. Yeah. Well, Ron's wife hears... First three different names, basically, that come out. Yeah. Sick. So the first Ron, 10 were him. The first 10 were him. <laughs> so Ron's wife hears about this while yeah. she's driving down the road. Pulls over and calls him, and Ron Sick. says, I know. I know. So Dalton Young, he gets a call from his sister. Um, she hears it on the radio. She pulls over to a gas did, station. Uh, how many did she have or he have? Uh, what did he say? Like a 1,000? I can't remember. Okay, you want me to okay. go back and no, look? No, at no, no. It's okay. Uh, anyway. It was nothing near 47,000. No, of course not. And then, uh, you know, she says, uh, you got to call him within a couple hours. And he says, okay, yeah, cool. 
So let's meet Mike McKay. Well, Mike Krajaja, the okay. guy who's number one and number two. Okay. He goes, ugh, McKay. You never knew what that guy was going to do. It's like you pull the string on his back and, you know, it's like, which McKay's going to come out? Yeah. It went from McKay to Mackay. Okay. I don't know what that uh, means. Some Jekyll and Hyde bullshit. Maybe. Well, we also meet local uh, news reporter, Tom Up, uh, Opdyke of Allentown Morning Call. Okay. And he says Mike was entertaining and he knew he was entertaining and he set out to be entertaining, which made it all fun because we all understood. Well, by all accounts, this Mike McKay character, he was the one that loved it the most. He loved the billboard experience. He yeah. loved being billboard Mike. What's around the billboard? Fucking nothing. Okay, so just like by a highway? Yeah, it's nothing? a freeway exit ramp. That's it. That's there's it. no like... Just it's where you would go. No... It's where you would go to ditch a dead body. Fuck me. Or you know, and you could just see it from how you far. You'd see it from the freeway. It's so stupid. Yeah. So so stupid. <laughs> anyway, um, people liked him. He liked it, and he went by the the name Billboard Mike. Um, he said he was a people person. He said, I wake up in the morning and I'm the type of person that wakes up in the morning looking to shake somebody's hand. Okay. We also see a, a mail addressed to him in later years and it's addressed to Billboard Mike McKay. Wow. So he adopted that name. Yeah, people yeah. are starting to recognize him. Mm-hmm. Well, Dalton says, my first... Hey, isn't that the fucking That's... idiot? That's <laughs> <laughs> the... That's the guy that... Uh, uh, Shouldn't buy <laughs> That guy... Shit in a bucket, cleaned out the same bucket, then ate food out of the fucking bucket that he shit in. Um, Dalton says his first impression of Mike was he was a total windbag. Yeah. Full of bluster, self-promoter, and a little bit arrogant. Well, Gene Early Worley says, I believe he was a player. When you talk about some of the reality shows that are going on now, like Survivor or something, you know they have to be players. Right. And that would be a perfect fit for McKay. Uh, other people call him a ringmaster. It was like, come join the circus, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, journalists of all ages. Come see Mike McKay. Well, let's meet Ron Kistler, shall we? Let's hear it. Ron Kistler was determined, according to Ned. He was the quiet one, the okay. quiet warrior. And he's the guy who told you he's got a little baby face on him. You know, long right. hair. It's the 70s. Yeah. And he says, Past the years. I was just up to get at the house. That's it. Not, not attention. Well, the guy who covered the article for People Magazine, James Cunin, says Kissler was a man of few words, but he chose those words very judiciously. And he says, I remember he said to me, he was the man in the middle. So he's in the middle. Dalton's on the left. And then Ron's, uh, or excuse me, uh, Mike's on the right. Right. He says, the good thing is I get to talk to both guys. But the bad thing is I have to listen to both guys. Well, Jeff Shear, the reporter of Rolling Stone, says he's a shy man. Uh, limp blonde hair. Here's your uh, here's your what you've been looking for. Yeah, and skittery hazel eyes. Told you this okay. guy could write. Skittery. Uh, he looked like a Boy Scout. Yeah. Um, he's such a young guy, and he said he was starting to grow a beard. And he said, "Yeah, I'm going to start growing a beard. I thought that'd be uh, something to do." Nice. I like it. Yeah. Gene Early Worley describes Ron as the type of guy you'd want to be in a foxhole with. Yeah. All right. Now, Betsy uh, is a woman they introduced to the documentary. You're going to hear from her later. She eventually wrote a piece in uh, the What's Wall Betsy short for? Elizabeth? Betsy? Yeah. Bet. Betty? Bethany? I don't know. Okay, go on. <laughs> Beatrice? 
Beatrice, yeah. I think Betsy, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, she wrote this article that we're going to talk to later. But she says, Ron, or uh, Mr. Kissler, uh, says he will stay put for however long it takes. Right. Now, Mike Krujagia, <laughs> right hand number one, number two, right. whatever we're going to call him, he describes Ron. He said he was just so chill. He's going to stay up there for as long as it takes. You know, if I had to put money on who would come down last, it would have been Ron. Mm -hmm. That's who I would have put my money on. And he says, I'm sure people were putting bets on people. Yeah. Well, Dalton Young. Yes. uh, He's the youngest of the group. He's 22, (laughs) uh, single and just out of the army. Mm. Um, When he heard the contest, he immediately postponed his job search. Uh, He says, I was looking for a job that was closely related to what I'd done in the army. And this is about as close as anything I could find. Well, I mean, it makes it's not sense. A terrible gig, I guess. I mean, it makes sense. The arming's boring yeah, as shit, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ned says, I don't know if anybody quite got Dalton. Um, Tom, the newspaper reporter, says Dalton was a laid back kind of guy who was up for the, up there for reasons that I was never really quite clear on. Yeah. Okay. Dalton says, I wasn't set up to have... Why don't you come over to my square for a little while? (laughs) Dalton says, I wasn't set up to have a home at that point in my life. I was 22, and I wasn't ready for that. So I just wanted to be a part of their competition and win it. Yeah. Well, his mother adds, the great thing is, I'll know where he is, and he'll always be home. Um, Well, then his mom mentions to Dalton, he says, there's talk that if you make it, you're going to get mentioned in the Guinness World Book of Records. Wow. And he's like, that was enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> that adds. These guys are like the first, like, Mr. Beast. Yeah, very good comparison. Yeah. Ned says, I don't know that he was loving it, and I don't know that he was the quiet warrior. I don't know if he was just kind of meandering through the contest. Well, at this point, the film uh, introduces a psychologist uh, from Penn State named David Leivert to break it all down for us. And uh, he says, ironically, he may have been the one who stayed the longest if it ever got to that point. Okay. But it didn't. Uh Oh. Mm -hmm. So the day of the contest, all the guys are shaking hands down at the bottom, and they have three ladders that go up to the billboard, and they walk up in unison. You know, they got to make this a show. Right. Well, Dalton says the first day it was raining, it's crappy out. And he's like, well, I guess I got to do this for a month. A little crazy. Well, Gene Early Worthy says he had heard through the grapevine that this was going to be a 30-day event. Well, Ned Tedder agrees. He's like, you know, 30 days, done. Yeah, and yeah. that's how it was supposed to happen. Oh boy, were they wrong, I bet. <laughs> yep. Dalton says, I thought I'd be up against like a middle-aged housewife. And like a high school kid or something, you know? And, then right, I get and up, what, what state is this in again? Pennsylvania. And it's during the summer, I'm assuming, or like spring? Uh, it, they started uh, in, I want to say, late summer. Okay. So um, he says, yeah, but I get up there, and these guys are true competitors. One guy's like a backpacker and an outdoorsman. Ron's yeah. a big game hunter, camps if out and stuff. you're being fed, and your excrement is leaving the area, and you have, <laughs> you're warm. Uh-huh. I mean, how how bad could it possibly be? I could. There's no way I could have done it. Okay. Uh, but his whole point is, what are the odds of this happening? You yeah. know that we were all so evenly matched. Well, 
personally, I think that the radio station probably yeah, wasn't they, on the level when they were yeah. pulling out. They had the uh, the frozen the frozen envelope. Yeah. <laughs> you know who that was from, right? That's the um, Patrick Ewing. Yeah. 1980, yeah. what, five? I don't remember the yeah. year. I yeah. was negative one yeah. years old. Um, so it was supposed to be a local radio promotion for a local radio station, and the first day Dalton goes up the ladder, well, guess what he's wearing? Long johns. No, he's wearing a T-shirt from WSAN's local competitor. Oh! MMMR Radio. So it's not so local anymore. Well, this catches the eye of MMMR disc jockey, John DeBella. So John says, we hear about this guy, and we're like, let's get him on the air. We'll have him do the weather. He's on a billboard in Allentown. If anybody knows what the weather's going to be, it's going to be him. And then he said, you know what? We'll just call him again tomorrow. And it became a running bit. So check in with Dalton, and that's their running bit. Uh, well, Jeff adds, when the spectators left, the three men finally settled down in the chill and nagging rain. The noise oh, wow. of the traffic yeah. That's what I figured. from the exit ramp off I-22. But they have a tent also. They're in tents, all yeah, three okay, of them. Okay, okay, okay. They got tons of gear. They show Love pictures. Love it, dude. It's like Congo, the movie Congo. Oh, the Michael Crichton? Yeah, I never go, saw that. Oh, uh, it's like, I mean, it's a good, it's not good now, but it was yeah. decent back then for a kid. Yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, just travel with all kinds of fucking gear. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Sick. Overhead, military and civilian aircraft ferry down the flight path heading for Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton Airfield. At 800 feet and descending, a Boeing, Boeing 737 makes enough noise to cause blurred vision. Wow. The billboard lights came on at sunset and stayed on all night. So you see these little yellow dome tents glowing no matter what the hour yeah. was. And the winds blowing off Blue Mountain into the Lehigh Valley battered against the billboard, keeping the platform in constant motion. Yep. It would be, in more than one way, a very long fall. Oh, boy. Now, the guys can talk to each other. Yeah. We learn they don't talk to each other much, and they don't particularly like one another. Oh, wow. So a reporter goes up there, and he's like, so how's everybody doing around here? And, you know, you talking? Dalton's like, very little. Yeah, I that <laughs> says he went up there and he, you know, he said, I talked to Ron and Dalton would go, how's he doing? Yeah. So like they're 10 feet away from each other right. and they don't know what's going on. You know, you take three people from different backgrounds, completely different interests, and you put them together. And what do you expect? You yeah. know, well, old Ned Tedder says, when we started the contest, all three of those guys knew deep down inside that they would stay up there forever if they had to. And they were pretty sure the other two guys wouldn't. Yeah. Ron says, I figured it's going to last as long as I stay there. It didn't matter else, you know, who was there. And then the reporter asked Dalton, he says, how long do you think you'll be here? And he's like, oh, maybe two years. Oh, my God. (laughs) He's just going to, he's like, can I just get my mobile home up here? (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, well, just so you know, you're already shitting in the portable (laughs) shitter from your mobile home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Rod says, maybe through the winter, maybe next summer. Imagine some of these guys are so stupid that they, they thought that they won the home. And that's they're, they're, it's pretty nice for free. Mike says, I'm willing to stay up here for five years. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's easy to say that. Yeah. Well, Ron's wife. It's her five-year plan. Ron's wife. <laughs> What's your five-year plan? This? This, yeah. this billboard? Here. 
Uh, Ron's wife says, I didn't expect him to come down without a house. So however long he needed to do, that's how long he was going to be up there. Um, Betsy, she says, what communication goes on is more in the nature of psychological warfare. Wow. Okay. When someone tries to run in place or do jumping jacks, the whole billboard was shaked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Dalton added, now keep in mind, he's the Nanam vet. Right, right. He said, I used to use mental telepathy from time to time to get inside their heads. Right. Which makes sense. Of course. Because he was probably trained by whatever, MK Ultra Operation uh, Hose Sniff or whatever you call it, that, you know, he probably learned some mind control. The men who stare at goats. Yes. So he'd shake the billboard to try and piss him off, he says. Nice. Tom says, I it's think a form of torture. I think some of the tone was set by Mike because billboarding instead of waterboarding. <laughs> yes, I found it. Um, Mike was just going to win. That was the prevailing theory that, you know, pretty much everybody had. Yeah. Um, well, Betsy mentions when a visitor comes, Mr. McKay loudly describes how much he is enjoying the experience. And they, you know, they show him in these interviews, these vintage interviews. Yeah. And he says, if everybody could have left and I won this thing in a month, wow, a month, $18,000 home. Yeah. But the price wouldn't be worth it that much. It's just like someone gave it to you then, you know? Oh, I feel like the price of a mobile home hasn't really changed all that much. Well, I will get to the math okay, later because okay, okay. I worked on that. The harder it is, I think the more I'm going to enjoy the victory. So to answer your question, the math, the inflation is 3x, pretty much on the nose. Okay. So that $18,000 house is worth about $54,000. Okay. Today. Yeah, that makes, still, sense. that makes sense, though, I guess. Still, fifty-four grand. I know. I for, mean, come on. For home. I mean. It's supposed to withstand rain and some it's got, wind. It's got cedar siding on it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Bring her back. Uh, well, there starts to be a little friction because... Uh, Mr. Young and Kissler complained that Mr. McKay's CB radio messes up their radio reception. Oh, boy. So he, I mean, they got a lot of shit up there. Yeah. He's doing breaker, breaker, and yeah, talking to yeah. the truckers coming <laughs> by. Going, how's the pussy at the last truck stop? <laughs> Any lot? What are, you, what are you hauling? <laughs> Any lot lizards on yeah. Route 20? <laughs> um, according to Tom, you know, McKay's trying to do anything he can to psych him out. And Betsy says, Ron will drop out first. He predicts, referring to Mr. Kessler, he's lonely. Dalton is my real competition because Dalton, he likes to party. Yeah. Oh, you can't drink, right? And there's That's no what drink. they said. No yeah. booze. No booze. When the weather starts getting nice, Dalton might just quit. Get yeah. down to those bars, chase some tail. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're 59 days in at this point. Okay. Okay. Remember our little psychologist buddy? From Conjugal visit. We're going to get there. Wow, <laughs> baby. So our social psychologist says, the thought that comes in mind first is the question, if the question is not necessarily what got those guys up there, but what kept them there is social influence. And since I'm a social psychologist, that's not too much of a surprise. Right. Thanks, asshole. Yeah. Dalton. There were a lot of people in the local area that had pools going at the local bars and things. And other people, friends and family, I just couldn't let him down. I wanted to win this thing. 
Jeff describes it as a mono a mono thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These guys maybe a mono <laughs> a mono a mono thing. <laughs> well done. These guys could just not let the other guy beat him. There was too much to lose. Betsy says cuz she went up there. She says one of the things I really remember is that it was very claustrophobic. It was just awful. It's awkward. It's a confined space. The tents were hardly a windbreak. Yeah. You know, Linda adds to be cramped in a little spot and not be able to go anywhere or do anything would have driven me crazy. Right. Well, at this point, the director uh, says to Ron, You couldn't have been real comfortable. And Ron's like, Eh. Shower? <laughs> eh. No shower? There's no showers, buddy. No shower? Yeah. That's what would have killed me. That's what would have killed me, too, I guess. Well, I shower twice a day. Yeah. That's weird. Why is that weird? No, it's not weird. What, in the morning before you go to bed? Pretty morning much. before I go to bed. Yeah. And yeah, I put deodorant sense. on even before I go to bed. Okay. You know, right. I got to smell good in my your dreams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's weird, but yeah, I've just weird. always kind of been that way. Well, one morning, Ron's up brushing his teeth, right? And he's shaking the water out of the toothbrush, and it falls. So it's like, there's nothing I can do about it. It's laying down there. I can't go pick it up. Right. You know, this point, we've got the disc jockeys way, and then they're like, can you imagine how deadly boring that it must have been just sitting up? And they have radios. Yeah, they got their radios. Well, and, you know, Dalton's got a part-time gig at WMMR. Well, yeah, right. You know? It's fucking... So Gene says, what would you do to keep yourself busy? And Ron answers, and he says, you know, wake up. Well, what else could you? Really, what were you really even doing in the eighties anyway? Like, I guess just watching TV, Rubik's cube. But, yeah, I mean, what? Like, you know, come on, bringing that old Simon Says can machine you, up. What, do they with? give him? Do they get newspapers? Yeah, they get magazines. Yep, daily newspapers. Yep, magazines. Ron, Ron says, "Wake up, have something for breakfast." Yeah, magazine. listen to radio. Yeah, hang out. He's fucking great, dude. Yep, Mon- monotony is the killer. Cigarettes. Though. Oh, dude, they showed the bottom. Of this fucking billboard. Oh, fuck. Yeah, baby. It looked like a carpet made of cigarettes. Sunflower seeds, <laughs> cigarettes, hot dogs. Get out of my face. I'm there for months, dude. <laughs> well, Ron, uh, he wasn't married at the time, but he, he had his girlfriend, Sue. She would stop by every day after work, plop down a lawn chair, and they just have talks. She'd ferry up the supper to, supper to him. Cool. And then they'd watch traffic. Great. Yeah. Pretty sexy. <laughs> Kissler's tent is the most sparsely furnished of the three. Among the only uh, non-essential items furnished being a stack of American rifle magazines. All right. Yeah. So he's got reading I'm material. Buy this gun when I win. <laughs> and this gun when I win. <laughs> Dalton, Dalton had a routine. He said, well, I usually get up around 10 in the morning. Okay. Sometimes wash up. Like, I'm on about a four-day wash cycle right now. That's okay. It's not bad. So I wash like every fourth day. You know, you might have caught me on a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, every day is going to be a bad day. But Buddy, this is before they had they're baby doing, wipes. Well, they're doing they're doing a bird, bird bath. Bird bath. Yeah. yeah. They're bird bathing it. Yeah. It's so jail. <laughs> reporter says, now trying to win a contest by living on a billboard seems a bit off the wall. Okay. <laughs> But with determination, no, it's on a billboard. <laughs> it is like a wall, sort of. I, that's why yeah. I can't talk. <laughs> anyway, 
Let them do their schmoes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, trying to win a contest by living on a billboard seems a bit off the wall. It's a human, but, di- di- human diorama. But with determination, telephones, and today's... Tele- and telephones. Sorry. Today's Thanksgiving dinner, the three seem to be adapting mm. well. <clears throat> they show this whole thing. Okay. The, the radio station goes all out for them. They get a Cornish hen. Yeah. Stuffing. Okay. Vegetables. And at this point, how long has it been? 59 days. 59 uh-huh. days. Then they uh, they even give them a bottle of wine. So wow. I guess they let them break their, their no booze rule. Yeah. Uh, back to the reporter. But this Thanksgiving, there were no hugs or toasts because this trio isn't allowed any visitors except reporters. And they can't even cross the barriers between them. Did they barter at all? I'm sure they did. They did put up Thanksgiving decorations. You saw Aww. one of the old pilgrims from the fucking Mayflower up there. Well, of course, Dalton says, I miss the nightlife, man. The okay. young ladies and yeah. freedom yeah, and mobility. He's... Well, there's a cop named Jerry Palagonia. And uh, he says, and just... I love their backpacks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the White Hill Police Pelagonias. <laughs> his theory is, you know, not being there with their wives and girlfriends, that was probably one of the biggest detriments to them. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, you got to have jack-off time. Yeah. I mean, it's unhealthy if you don't clean the pipes. That's what I'm saying. Like, when you're jacking off, it fucking, it's going to tip over. <laughs> if, if a guy's doing jumping jacks yeah. on it. Well, yeah. Um, day 66. Wow. Another reporter interviewing from the scene. These three most unusual contestants do agree on one thing, and that is the hardest thing about life atop a billboard is the lack of visitors, especially those of the female persuasion. Yet they're determined to stay here years if necessary. Craig Stevens, Newswatch 16, Allentown. Dalton says, did I have some female fans? Yeah, I guess I did, you know? But again, it wasn't like we could get intimately acquainted on any level because of the distance. So people are showing up. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're they're literally like groupies. I mean, these guys are going to be there to Chris, through Christmas for sure eh, at this point. We'll see. Mike and Linda, keep in mind, they're the only ones that were married. Well, Linda says they allowed us up there twice. Ooh. You had to be careful with your noises and Oy. any kind of movement because it vibrated through the entire billboard. So whatever you were doing oh, yeah. on your end, everybody knew you were doing it. Yeah. So the conjugal visits had to be very quiet. Right. All right. Yes. Let's pretend you're a woman. Yes. All right. Your man's up there. Yes. It's 66 days. Yes. Do you blow him? Uh, no. <laughs> fuck no. You probably like you makeshift like you know you make like a little uh, wipe and you clean him up first maybe and then you give him a little blow you blow maybe condom only. Okay, condom works too. I didn't think about that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, day eighty one. But your balls got to smell like oh, Fumunda. <laughs> exact word I was gonna gross. use. Gross. <laughs> day eighty one. Gene Early Worley, Unforgettable, 1470 WSAN, and our WSAN Love Homes, You'll Love to Love, Live With Us contest. And the 81st day, and the temperatures fell to five degrees below zero on the billboard last night. Tonight, fellas, you got a wow, lot of things five... to look forward to. Freezing rain and or snow. Wow. Gene Early Worley, everybody. There weren't a whole lot of people that really knew about the contest. Okay, so the locals know, but it hasn't taken off outside 
the Allentown Whitehall community. Ron says, I'm not sure how radio advertising and stuff like that works, but you think people in the business would have been able to pick up on it and do something with it. Well, according to Gene Early Whirly, it wasn't <laughs> that we didn't know what we had and didn't know what to do with. Oh, yeah, we had an idea of what we had. We were told not to do it. So keep in mind, the, 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 the promo is for a station switching from country to unforgettable yes. oldies. Right. Well, they figure out it's not a good match for their promo. Right. Because they're like, we can't find music to match up with this. Yeah. If we were still country... We'd be blasting out "Country Boy Will Survive" right by Hank Williams Jr. Yeah, you can't you can't just drop in the Ames Brothers and the Andrews Sisters very much. The station also had a new GM, ah. and he hated the promotion, so he didn't want to promote something that didn't fit the brand. Yeah, he came in after all the planning was done with, and he wanted to move on to the next stage. And Harold just wasn't quite ready. And they still had the contest to deal with. Yeah. yeah well, Gene yeah. Early Worley says, Harold Fulmer, he looked over his eyebrows the way he did when he was angry. And then he said, you're the idea, man. I want you to get rolling on this thing. Okay. I went outside pumped. And I said, Gordy, I'll have stuff ready. I got a couple ideas right now. And I got this one. And he turned over to me. And I believe he looked and took one hand off the wheel and sort of pointed at me using several expletives telling me he didn't want the contest promoted. He wanted it ended. Yeah. Well, the director asked Gordy, the station manager, so were you going to buy everybody a home and just end this thing and bring them home by Christmas? And Gordon says, We're going to start sabotaging them. Correct. That was the plan. Wow. And the director says, well, why did that change? And he says, well, that changed because of uh, that lady, Betsy, from the Wall Street Journal. Okay. So at the time, Betsy was a rookie reporter for the Wall Street Journal. And she explains, we usually have a front page story we call the A-head, which is for something that's kind of out of the box. That's also what my mother used to call me. (laughs) You have no idea when you're writing stories which ones are going to hit a nerve. Yeah. Well, Gina Early Worley says, December 9th, I'm <laughs> on the air. I did notice the phones were ringing constantly. I'm not giving anything away. He still has away. radio voice even when he's being interviewed? No, but I'm doing it for okay, this because okay, okay. I just want to be Gene Early Worley. But like, it would make sense that he did, though. Yeah, okay. but he he wasn't an asshole. Okay, okay, he was okay. he knew. Yeah. Good to know. But I'm going to be an you're asshole. You're going to be an asshole. That's fine. So I'm trying to answer some phones, and I'm getting people, some of them with broken English or worse, and I have no idea what they're saying except they're talking to me about a billboard. So by the time we get off the air, some information was gathered and said that the wall street journal did a front page article on the billboard well that ignited the fire this is my line i wrote but i'm still doing it gene early worley's voice but of course that's when the chaos started suddenly media types were ringing up from paris and as far as east as the tasman sea yeah <laughs> gene early worley wsan on your afternoon drive WSAN. <laughs> dalton says here I just realized Gene Early Worley wouldn't be on the afternoon drive. He'd be on the morning morning drive. (laughs) Dawn says here, I am some nobody. And next thing you know, I'm in newspapers from all over the country and the world. Yeah. You know, now I'm a, a little guy. And now we have somebody here who is really interested in us. And they're from a foreign country. Well, they literally show up in the station parking lot. And it sort of flashed, and all of a sudden, boom, everybody knew about it. Sick. And they weren't prepared. 
You know, they were radio guys. They said, we're not PR guys. Suddenly yeah. this hit this tiny AM radio station, which only had a 50 mile range. Yeah. You know, our phones are lighting up. Everybody wants interviews. And he, Mike, the, you know, uh, Fulmer's right hand man said it was a time suck and everybody Same. wanted access to these people. So uh, one of the disc jockeys, not named Gene Early Worley, uh, he says, you'd literally be getting calls with like, G'day, mate. I uh, <laughs> can I talk to the billboard guys? <laughs> or you, you know, you'd get somebody from France yeah. and they'd be like, uh, who is the man on the billboard? I want to talk to him. And apparently France, Paris, those were the biggest calls they got. Ah. So at this point, there was an in-house policy. Don't give out the numbers to yeah. the guys on the billboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this asshole leaked it. Oh, that fucking. So the phones are ringing off on the billboard. And it's probably so much ringing and shaking the billboard. Oh, no. And one guy does get lucky, but they Dalton says, I was getting 150 phone calls a day from French people. Oh, God. But Ron's, they misspelled Ron's number, uh -huh. and it went to some local lady in town. Okay. <laughs> she's getting all the French calls, oh, so she God. gets pissed. So then they got to change everybody's number. Yeah. So Japan came twice, crews from Germany, Spain, England, Canada. Sick. Became They're, a phenom. Yeah. And Mike McKay, he says, I was just thinking, it seems the bigger things happen here, the bigger the camera gets, the local TV looks like a home movie camera. Right. Well, it's like waking up in the morning, Mike says, walking out there, and there's this, and this isn't Mike McKay, this is Fulmer's right-hand man. Yeah. He has this weird analogy. He says, it's like there's this Japanese or French baby out there with a load in its diaper. What? <laughs> no, it's not good with analogies, because that's kind of what it looked like, and that I had to deal with that. Okay, I had my own business and my own duties, but now I had to change this diaper and talk and say the same thing over and over again. Weird. And it really wasn't my diaper to change. <clears throat> Very odd. Yeah. Analogy. Well, here's where it gets weird. Coincidentally, in November of 1982, Billy Joel released the hit song Allentown two months after the contest began. Okay. It made Allentown a symbol of hard times in America. You know the song? No. Oh, give me a little music then. Okay. Okay. Give me a countdown. Give me a countdown so I can get into it. Five, four, three, two. Well, we're living here in Allentown. Oh, no. And they're closing all the factories down. Out in Bethlehem, they're killing time. Filling out forms, standing in line. Yes, I've heard that song. Actually. It's a great song. Yeah. Uh, but let's give it a little context. So okay. for years, Bethlehem Steel, that was America's second largest steel producer and its largest, our largest shipbuilder. In 1982, the corporate uh, corporation reported a loss of 1.5 billion and shut down most of its operations, which crippled the Allentown economy. Oh. So Billy Joel. He says in 1982, when the Rust Belt kicked into high gear and the steel industry took a big dump, we played an Allentown. And I said, Allentown, Allentown. That's like an American name. It's like Jimmy Town, Bobby yeah. Town, yeah. you know, Tommy Town. Like we're living in Allentown. Well, when it first came out, it got a mixed reaction from Allentown. A lot of people didn't like the song. Right. Uh, but they're like, it's Billy Joel. It's kind of cool. And yeah. It's like, but it's shitting on us. Well, that ain't so cool. So Billy Joel calls into the Philadelphia station. Okay. And um, they're like, get the fuck out of here. And he's like, you know, Billy Joel. Yeah. He's like, no, it's me. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, come on. 
who do you think who's crank are you yanking here you know and they're like uh dude he's like it's really me and i heard you guys are pissed about allentown and just know it wasn't personal right these guys are like yeah one fucking billy joel (laughs) (laughs) the way was that billy joel (laughs) so you let me get to go get a hoogie if if you take uh, subtract billy joel out of the equation okay okay no one would have gone to write about these guys. That's the theory. It was a perfect timing that it just all collided at the same time. Right. Now, just for reference, Billy Joel's Allentown remained on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for 22 weeks. The Billboard contest lasted a lot longer. Give me a little outdoor awesome. music and I'll wrap up Allentown. And it's getting very hard to stay. <laughs> And we're living here in Allentown. I love that song. (laughs) Billy Joel got a key. Oh, your fucking cues are amazing there. Billy Joel got a key to the city. Sick. Because they gathered 10,000 signatures to have him come play Allentown. Oh. So apparently half, at least 10,000 people liked it. Yeah. Well, the, the story makes People Magazine. Well, Mike says now all of a sudden, you know, we have all this media at your doorstep wanting information, but it doesn't put anything after the equal sign for us. Yeah. You know, if we're making little widgets and all of a sudden, you know, France or Japan came in and said, yeah, we want to buy this. Or Japan came and said, we want to buy advertising on your radio, but they didn't do that because our radio station didn't go signal, didn't go far. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So he says it was just more shit we had to manage. Right. So it's getting close to Christmas time. Uh huh. Yeah. So they send up Santa Claus, Aww. bearing gifts to the guys. What would you like? You the, you know what I fucking want. You know what I want for Christmas. <laughs> A stick of deodorant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's day one sixteen, buddy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Jeff says Ron Kissler has been perched on a billboard for four months, and he still didn't know what to make of all the attention was getting. Even in icy January, people were making pilgrimages to see him. Ron's girlfriend visited Ron every day, except one day she missed in the entire time he was out there due to snowstorm. No mention about her conjugal visits. Okay. Uh, Classy lady. But the blizzard of 83 comes Uh, in uh. and dumped two feet of snow. Wow. So people are like, this has got to end the contest. Yeah. There's no way we could keep doing this. Well, Ron says that was the his favorite time of the contest. Aw. You know, it was it was like no traffic and completely peaceful. Same thing with Dalton. He's like, I cleared the snow in like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. If it was like, it was like my driveway, I would have been out there for half a day. Right, right, right. Well, barbers are showing up to cut their hair. Sick. You know? And then they get like different fan groups that are rooting for them. And they're driving down the, the highway, blowing their horns. Yeah. Fridays and Saturdays turns into like Party Parties. Central. Of course. That's what I figured. Like, that's how, that's, that's how they used to hang out back in the days. They just show up at a place and just hang out. I mean, I did a lot of this in high school. Yeah, yeah. You know, not under billboards. But we, I mean, I, I grew up, I joked that I grew up at a Circle K, you know, because there was a pinball machine there. We knew the girl that worked there. We had friends that would buy uh, buy us beer. Yep, yep. You know, so um, anyway, Mike says it was crazy, but I enjoyed every minute of it. At this point, obviously, the contest has captivated the public imagination. By the time the radio station wanted the whole thing to go away, people are world followers of the story. Right. 
So there was an executive from Love Homes. Okay. He's in Brazil on vacation. Of course. And people are going up to him talking about the story. Well, in Brazil? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yep. You know, and it's kind of weird. Betsy mentions this, but she's like, you know, things go viral really quickly now. But before social media, you had no idea which stories yeah, had the capability. Yeah, 160 days. Yeah, and Tom was like, if these guys had mobile devices here, they'd be getting more yeah, retweets yeah. than anybody. Yeah, live so, streaming. Yeah, of course. But this was the equivalent of a reality show back then. Well, I mean, they are. I mean, essentially, Mr. Beast does get these. Yeah. For, for last one to remove their head from the Ferrari. Correct. Wins. Yeah, there's a documentary about this that one of our listeners sent in, and I wrote it down. It was the whole hand on the car thing. Yeah. Apparently, there's a doc about that. But people are, are driving by, and they're getting in rear-end collisions repeatedly. Uh, just because rubbernecking. Rubbernecking this shit. Well, it becomes a nuisance, and after about eight weeks, the township, they're getting kind of pissed. Uh, but then they make it into Rolling Stone magazine as well. Uh -huh. Yeah, so the Rolling Stone it makes it worse. writer, Jeff Shear, he says, I remember the first day up there on the billboard wondering, what was I going to write about this? Because it had already been covered. So then he says, I went home, got baked, I got really hot, yeah. and the ideas started flowing. Fuck yeah. Well, he'd been up there a week. He hung out with him for a week. But... He was like, I got to get inside these guys' heads. So I'm going to take Ron's wife out to dinner, have her take him to a place they normally go so I can get a like feeling yeah, of yeah, how yeah. their life is. Yeah. Well, somebody sees Jeff the Rolling Stone oh, reporter with boy. Ron's wife and calls yeah. Ron yeah. on the billboard and says, your wife's cheating on you. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, small town shit, right? Yeah. So in four days, Mike and Ron and Dalton will be will have been on the billboard for six months at this point. Wow. No one is predicting which one will come down first, but all three agree on one thing. They've been up here much too long to give it all up for one colored television set. Yeah. Apparently, that must have been in the notes of what second price was. Uh, but they all say we've earned a lot, lot more. Yeah. Well, Jeff, the Rolling Stone article, he says, I wasn't interested in the stunt aspect of you know, the story, he was focusing on the exploitive nature of WSAN. Right. And how the economy was so bad, these guys couldn't have a decent life and they had to resort to, you know, something this dumb. Sure. So here's an excerpt from Jeff's article in Rolling Stone. What gradually drew the three men together was a growing feeling that they were all being exploited. Yeah. We did a job for him, McKay said, of the wealthy station owner. What would it hurt him to come up with two more trailers? Jeff says, it was very hard to say precisely when, but sometime in February, after one of the worst snowfalls in Lehigh Valley history, the contest had changed from three guys competing for a mobile home to three guys banding together against the promoters. Interesting. Yeah. And at this point, Mike McKay is kind of elected to be their spokesman for the group. Yeah. And he says on the news, I'm not coming down until I got a house, and I'm sure the other two feel the same way. In ah. fact, I'm positive they are. So Gene Early Worley comes out and gives a statement to the press. Gene Early Worley here, your morning drive, man. He didn't say that, by the way. Okay. He said, when we have 20 winners in the Boston Marathon, 
when both teams in the World Series get World Series rings because they tried so hard, when every kid in fourth grade who spelled one word correctly is entitled to be winner of the spelling bee, then I'll reconsider as a promotion man to consider what? having contests Piece where nobody shit. loses. Piece of shit. It's not. I think he's having fun with it. The real guy behind the strings is the money man. Yeah. Gene's just playing his part. So and I the did. Money, the money man doesn't want That's to give former. him. Yeah. He doesn't want to give him each house. Apparently not. Just Well, you just end the competition and split one house. What? All going to move in together? No, you just sell the, the piece the, of crap. The value of it and just give him the money for it. That's it. Well, that's that wasn't on the table. I know. Well, I'm just saying. Well, Mike says, and then they begin to play rich guy versus poor guy. Here's Mr. Fulmer with his McDonald's and his cars. Is he exploiting these guys to do this yep. and he says absolutely not Apples. well the billboard three disagree what are what are we talking about asked mckay he could throw in two mobile homes for less than the price of one of his cars yeah what's it going to look like two years from now when one of us gets sick and comes down and says i'm having trouble breathing harold formal just won't swallow his pride right. and fess up that he made a damn mistake ned says they were against all odds against that nasty rich guy who wasn't a really nasty guy at all. I bet. I don't think he was. Jeff says it had become such a nasty dispute between the promoters, the radio stations, and the guys on the billboard. And you know, that was the economics of the time, right? Right. The guys with the money, the guys who sell you stuff, and the people who buy. And they were the buyers stuck with the product. Yeah. Mike says, I think that might be a possibility if we can get a promoter in here that can, I don't know, but maybe we can make enough money just so that we can all get a home and come down. There's talk about a granola bar commercial, something Ooh. of that nature. Maybe get possible. Some, get them a little extra money, maybe. Possible endorsements. Nice. I like it. But he says, other than that, it's still a contest. Yep. You know, if yep. no one yep. does it, if that doesn't come through, it's still a contest. Yeah. So the billboard was located at MacArthur Road, for those of you intimately familiar with Allentown and the Lehigh Valley. Okay. Just over the town line from Allentown is the busiest shopping area in the Lehigh Valley, and officials wanted commerce to proceed unimpeded. Tom adds, I think of it in the context of where Whitehall police might have been with this whole thing. Again, this billboard contest transitioned into a complete public nuisance. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's just come to a head. So for them, I think the pressure was mounting to do something. By this, this point, the competition had become such a huge annoyance, town officials and the town commissioner even described the contest as a hemorrhoid. <laughs> well, Herod Fulmer, the guy who started it, he says it shouldn't have lasted this long. We didn't think it would have. We wanted to get it over with, quite frankly, because you should see the next promotion we got. Coming. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I love this they're, guy. They're already thinking of the next one, huh? This guy apparently drove around town with a hamburger on top of his car. Oh, okay. You know, to advertise his 14 McDonald's. Oh, okay. Well, James uh, from People reported, if the publicity turns bad, Fulmer said to me, we could just give all three of them a mobile home. But I don't want to do that, and I don't think we're going to have to. Dalton, it was one morning. Let's start introducing, like, bees into it or... Uh... Uh, coyotes <laughs> tear gas get the bear uh, it's like the, hunger the, games now yeah yeah get the bear spray and get just spray it spray. underneath the place spit wads dalton says one morning 
there was a guy out talking to Ron and Mike and I was in the tent. I forgot what I was doing. I was on the phone with somebody and uh, the guy left. Okay. Well, he came back the very next day and we were talking about our experiences in the military uh, and some of the partying uh, we had done. Uh, you want boom, boom for $5? Uh, uh, chuk, 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 I love you a long time. <laughs> chuk, 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 chuk. So Dennis Peters, 31, okay. this is the guy, visited the billboard early in March and asked Dalton, you ever get high? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Dalton says, yeah. You cool, cool, man? (laughs) I thought at that point we had some sort of bond, you know? Sure, I get high. Well, later Peters came back and he said, look, I just moved to Allentown and I don't know where to buy any grass. Yeah. Well, Dalton says he called me a few times and one time asked me, could I get him anything? I said, not really. Finally, I said, I'll try and get you a half ounce. More than anything, I wanted the guy off my back. He said, well, is there anything you need? And I said, I don't know. If you want to throw me a six pack, a beer, that'd be cool. He came up. Sabotage. He came up. He showed up that one night. He was down on the ground, and there were a couple other guys that were down there with him, and they were hitting this bowl. Now, he said the guy was clearly drawing from his pipe. He could see the embers glowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he said, Well, do you have it? And I said, Yeah. So I stuck it in a cigarette pack and dropped it down to him. He sent up a 20. He took a cigarette pack and stuck a 20 in and passed it up. I said, look, man, really, just take it. He said, no, no, I insist, I insist. And I thought, well, you know, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. I'm not going to turn it down. He called me a couple more times throughout the next couple weeks. And I said, look, man, I'm not dealing up here. I got enough for my own head. And I'm not into selling anything. But if you want to stop up, I'll turn you on. and I'll get you high or whatever. And then two weeks after the day, the transaction went down. Somebody started to open up my tent flap. At first, I thought I was a member of the press. And I said, I'll be right out. Let me just put some clothes on. Well, by the time I turned around, they'd opened up my tent, and it was the Whitehall police. Oh, pieces of shit. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, Did they take pictures, too? Here's the reporter. Uh. Dalton Young, one of the three men who's been living on the billboard for the last 184 days, was arrested for dealing marijuana. Oh, boy. Gene's like, who deals from a billboard? Everybody gets their pot from 20 feet in the air, right? So they make him climb down the ladder and get off of the billboard, but wait until he's on the ground before they cuff him and stuff him. Okay? Yeah, so this voluntarily comes down. So Mike McKay says, I didn't hear anything. I didn't see anything. I called him. He didn't answer his phone. I got out. He wasn't on the board, and all of a sudden, he was gone. Wow. So Dalton's mom hears about this on Radio WMMR, the, yeah. the competition, because yeah. he's, she's used to listening to her son do the weather right. on the other, yeah. you know, and they can't find him. The, uh, you know, they're all trying to be like, what, what the hell is this guy? Of course. How are we going to do our weather spot? <laughs> Such bullshit. Jeet says, was there, was there that little going on in Allentown, right? That Columbo and plain clothes had to show up and try to buy pot from a guy on a billboard? Uh, such bullshit. Well, they interview the dumb hillbilly cop. Yeah. And he says he's selling marijuana. I don't think anybody told him to do it. Dalton says they had like two police cars. I think an unmarked car. They had like four uniform cops and probably like an undercover cop or two. Uh, Ron says, as bad as it sounds, I was happy he was gone. So the reporters now say, so what do you think of your odds now? Ron says, I don't know, but I still got out last mic. 
And, you know, then they asked Mike the same question. He's like, I'm not coming down until I get a house. Yeah. Period. So uh, news reporter says, had a chance to talk to Young later this afternoon at his attorney's office. His attorney, Richard McCool of Allentown, stressed that the contest is not over. And that the case is what he calls a textbook case of entrapment. (laughs) Fucking cocksuckers, dude. (laughs) We meet his lawyer. Yeah. Sure, it's entrapment. Entrapment because were it not for the actions of the police, uh, Dalton would have never made the sale. Yeah. The police officer went there for the expressed intent of making a sale, encouraging the sale, enticing the sale. Well, everybody agrees that Dalton was set up. And it was entrapment, except yeah. for the one dumb hillbilly cop who yep. says, that's absurd. Right. You know, adults should know what they're doing at all times, and they got to watch their P's and Q's. Yeah, if you didn't give him the money, if he didn't take the money, he would have still been okay. Yeah, and he, but he, he, he didn't ask for the money. He sent it out. I know, I know. So then he's like, you know. You got to throw it back. Is, is that the rule? Yep. Ugh. Can't keep it. Well, Dalton never sold drugs before or after that. No one alleges that he did. You know, he says it was one sale. The police initiated it. He never said, hey, I need some money. Could you buy some pot from me? Well, the hillbilly cop, he's adamant. He says, no, if he's not that smart to do such a thing, then breaking the law, we got to make the arrest. But Dalton claims he's probably the only person in history to be arrested selling pot from a billboard. I doubt that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's a good point. The cartels are like, hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, I've I've hung out with enough, enough people to know that it's at least a couple hundred people. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to fast forward to Dalton's hearing. Ron and Mike, they get subpoenaed Fucking a. to attend. And they both have to come down. Well, we're going to get there. <laughs> Harold says, you got to send the judge over to the billboard. Oh, God. Because, Fuck my life. Because you can't ruin our contest. The judge is like, fuck no. Yeah. Well, according to the local reporters, the event of them coming down to go to the hearing ranked up with man walking on the moon. Wow. The two finalists, McKay and Kistler, climbed down from the billboard for the first time in 200 days. Wow. Not because the contest is over, but because they were wanted in court. Yeah. Mike said, I was hoping... That when I would first put foot on the ground, I'd be, you know, winning this home. And now I'm just coming down to go to court. So wait, mm-hmm. who put their foot down first? They did it exactly the Fucking same time. Fuck suckers. They yep. knew they would. Yep. Well, they, the, the WSN splurges, they get them hotel rooms. Yeah. So shower, shower, okay. shave. Oh yeah. They literally filmed Ron shaving. Well, they, they fucking, they fucked up because that's going to give them a whole new life now. How do you mean? Like that's all. That's like oh, a, that's like a recharge of your battery. Recharge, dude. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like a <sighs> I like taste the, of I like what you could be freedom. getting back. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Six months without a shower, dude. I mean, I just can't. That the boggles my mind. Like I'm the worst camper. You know what I mean? Uh, I'll go if there's a shower. I could make it one day. Uh, yeah. and if there's a river, I'm cool. You know, I'll okay. take a bar of soap in the river. There's like this. You know, like a. Th- like in Castaway, where he didn't sleep on the bed, yeah, slept on the floor. Yeah, you just see them like uh, they need to be sleeping on some kind of like shaking platform. <laughs> They're just like <laughs> so they try like they try like their cat little cat trees. Well, 
they uh, also decide to splurge and give them a steak and egg breakfast. Hell yeah. McKay says, Ooh, I took a shower. Sounds good. I had a good breakfast. I'm good for another two years. Yes. I came down the ladder. I put a little bit of mud on myself. It was the first time I touched dirt for a while. It felt real good. Well, then they usher him off to the magistrate's office. It's covered, surrounded by media. So before the hearing, the judge is sentencing a heroin dealer to five years. (laughs) And Dalton's like, I'm fucked. Yeah. So I did a little digging, and I found a People magazine article from the time that floats theories that police might have been tipped off by Ron or Mike. Or the radio station looking to... That he had weed? They could have called in on the phone and said, he's a pot smoker. Yeah, see if you can get some pot out of him. Yeah, or it could have just been the cops trying to figure out a way to do it. But the bottom line is, none of those theories have ever been um, substantiated. Okay. So you got to remember, it's 1983. We don't have liberal drug laws today. Right. Or then. Yeah. So... The cops run into another legal snag because the Whitehall, Whitehall Township had recently assessed that Young owed $15 in resident taxes. Okay. So they considered the billboard to be his home at that okay. time. They mailed this shit to the billboard. Whoa. Okay. That's, a, that's amazing. But here's where it gets interesting. Okay. The township, however, failed to issue a search warrant for oh, his home. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. These so, fucking idiots. So when the officer raided the billboard, it was illegal search and it seizure. Illegal <laughs> search and seizure. <laughs> That's hilarious. There's a cameo in this film yeah. from a reporter uh, who I love to death, Stone Phillips. You probably yeah, know, I oh, do you know, know Stone? Stone Phillips. Yes. So Stone's out there. And he, and he says, officials here at Town Hall, <laughs> equally disillusioned with the contest, Holy have contemplated shit. sending the housing inspector to invis, uh, oh, evict the contestants. That's hilarious. Because the billboard has no plumbing or smoke oh, alarms. This is getting ridiculous. This is almost <laughs> like a work now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. So, okay. At this point. It, yeah. This is like the episode of, uh, of um, Mary with Children when... Uh, the building inspector keeps coming back and telling him that like his doghouse needs a foundation. Yeah, yeah. It needs a it's breaking easement laws. Yeah, yeah. It needs a it needs running plumbing and needs a, a a ramp for homeless. Well, it's interesting for, uh, disabled because I put this out on our Discord. Because yeah. by the way, if you are in the Discord, we tell people what we're going to cover a week in advance, so you can get a little teaser. Yeah, yeah. Well, retard sexual blowtorch sixty eight said, "Ah, billboard boys." Yeah. The stunt that launched fifty different sitcom premises. So this was been has been used by multiple sitcoms since then. And you're right, it feels like a sitcom at this point. So yeah. the reporter asked Dalton, um, do you think you should still win if you get to go back up? And Dalton says, Well put it this way, if I go back up, I'm gonna win. Yeah. And McKay says after all he went through, it's not fair to him. What if he's innocent? But at the same time it's not fair to us because he's been down there for so long. It's not not fair to anybody. Right. Well, there was talk that they were going to send Dalton to go back up and join the contest afterwards, but it never came up because by the time his trial came around, it was August. Yeah. So he was officially disqualified. Lame. Yep. So, but it, sued. But Dalton said it was kind of a win-win because I didn't have to kneel down anymore to take a piss. Oh, that's nice. Well, Gene, early Whirly, 
He's not happy. He says, there was nothing funny about it for me. It was sad. We had what I thought was the goose that laid the golden egg, and somebody decided to try and hard boil it rather than take it to the pawn shop and cash it in. Okay. So we're at day 200. Wow, I know. Okay. So after testifying that neither one of them had observed Dalton Young either using or selling marijuana, both Ron and Mike climbed up the ladder. And that is when Mike began to step up his game. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. So the theory is after the bust, the township officials were in on this. And they're looking, also looking to find if they're breaking zoning laws or anything like that. They're trying to find any way to get them off the sign. Well, it's day 205. Local news reporter Vince Sherry says, at this point, it seems the media's preoccupation with this contest is practically unlimited. In fact, if you look at People Magazine this week, you'll see a picture of Dalton Young being whisked away by the Whitehall police. The latest chapter in this story will unfold tonight on ABC at 12 o'clock with, you guessed it, our man, Phil Donahue. Wow. Okay? So they're sending Fulmer's right hand, number one. And number two. Number, number two. One. Man, Mike. Number one, camera two. To Phil Donahue. Right. The guys will be appearing on the show as well. Awesome. Via satellite. satellite. <laughs> Remember how big of a deal yeah, that yeah, was, oh, via yeah. satellite? And it's always like a little bit of delay. I'm here with you now, Mark. <laughs> and they always have those huge ears. Yeah. The, the antennas coming out of their ears. Yeah. So Phil starts his show. For the better part of a year now, Allentown, Pennsylvania has been receiving international publicity. Well, according to Mike, before the event, he says Donahue badgered the radio station, came over to him and said, we want to do this. We want Mr. Fulmer on this and everything else. And I said to Fulmer, you can't go on the show. You cannot do this. Donahue's going to eat you up alive. Then he said, well, should we go on at all? And Mike said, well, we haven't really had a public forum to tell our side of the story. And he says, all right, well, Mike, you go. You know, and they asked if we could take the billboard guys off the billboard and fly them out. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not going to make you a hero, Phil. All right. That's not happening. You know, he's, Phil says, well, you let him go to court. And they go, yeah, that was court. You're not court Phil Donahue. Yeah. So there's already this tension between Phil and Mike. So they meet at Phil's location. Phil comes in, shakes Mike's hand and says, I'm Phil Donahue. Nice to meet you. Let's go to work. And he's like, now you're a big boy. I'm a big boy. This whole half hour goes by really quickly. There's commercials in there. So don't you come crying to me afterwards. If you don't have a chance to get something in to say, you got that? He's like, yeah, nice to meet you too, Phil. So... They're, they're interviewing, Phil's interviewing Mike, and he says, you got to be a little nervous about this, Michael. Isn't this getting a little bit old? And don't we reach a point where it isn't funny anymore? Mike's like, I'm there. Okay, let's go. I'll play off the television too. Right. I said, well, Phil, there's an integrity of a contest here. Yeah. You know, these people entered. Phil, Mike, Mike, would you, would you enter like something like 47,000 times? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ma fuck you. Yeah, I did. McKay's like, yeah. yeah. And Ron, what about you? Uh, two, two or 3,000 times? Ron says 4,004. Well, they show the guys being interviewed and the guys on the billboard, they're now matching, wearing matching Love's Home windbreakers. Oh, shit. So Love's Home snuck in a little, they yeah, knew what was merch. going on, a little merch. 
Mike says, so I'm starting to talk to the billboard guys and get them engaged with me. Well, then I don't think Phil liked that because I had a finesse and a nuance to be able to do something like that. Yeah. Mike's in PR to some degree. He knows what he's doing. Right. Well, Ron says, just like any other day on the billboard, cars are going by and you're waving at the cars. And Phil's producer is yelling at us through our earphones, don't wave at those cars. Look straight at the camera. Well, Phil says, you did not know each other before you went up there, right? You guys develop a relationship? Oh, these motherfuckers And then he now. goes, I don't mean that in a funny way, you know? Ron's like, we see each other every day. Well, that gets a huge laugh. Oh, boy. Phil says, well, why, why don't you guys sell your story and make 17, 17 times whatever this trailer thing's worth? Well, Donahue pulled one of his strings and Mike McKay started babbling. McKay's like, for anybody who wants to help us out, uh, you can reach me at, you know. And then Mike, uh, right-hand man, number two, says, but every question that he asked was negative. Are you guys starting to feel guilty about taking advantage of these young men? Do you feel like as though you're being exploited? You must be talking to yourselves. How do you huh. feel psychologically? Yeah. Well, Mike says at one time he turned to the billboard guys and says, wouldn't y'all like to come on down? Well, of course they'd like to come down. I'm looking at my watch and I got to take some initiative here. And I said, we have taken probably the simplest idea ever and gained international attention with it for 750 bucks, three telephone lines and three guys. Yeah. Phil, why don't you give a thousand bucks to the top ad agencies in the country or in the world and see what type of publicity they can generate. And then he came back at me and he says, well, aren't you exploiting them? And at that point I stood up and I said, Phil, you know, if you were to have your cameras pan around to the other side of the billboard, they're going to see two huge tractor trailers there, which my radio station engineers estimate that it costs 20 grand to move all of that equipment in just for the broadcast. So why don't you be the big hero and give these guys to get your mobile home? I say, who is exploiting who here? Wow. Well, of course, that made it on the editorial yeah, floor. Good. It didn't air. Ah, pussies. Yep. It's now March 31st, 1983. Tom says Mike was such a great showman and knew what he wanted to be in this act. So he was letting the word out that he was finished and he was coming down. So Gene Worley gets a call, 8.30 a.m. at night from a lady that was on the air at the time. Now, he's not at the station. So the disc jockey on call or on the air calls Gene and says, Gene Early Worley, uh, guess what? We just had some news that Mike McKay says he's coming off the billboard tomorrow. What should I do? I, I know you said if anybody came down, I'm supposed to give you a call because we got to go record them. Tom says it was mayhem. Everybody was trying to get there. And I just knew that it wasn't going to happen. Well, Gene Early Worley says within minutes after that phone call, I get a call from Tom. Tom called and said, hey, Gene, any interesting thing happening tonight? And I thought, boy, they already know. The guy went to the newspaper. They're going to break the story before we do. Well, they can't till tomorrow morning. But as we talked a little bit, I thought, gee, this guy is trying to get me to read between the lines or something. And I said, Tom, you know, we got a phone call. Did Mike McKay call you or whatever? And he wouldn't answer. Tom, here's the deal. Mike called and he said, he's coming down. 
Yeah, when did he say he was coming over? Down, Gene. And as we're going back and forth, it's almost like he had to pound my head to get this point across. Mm. So it dawns on me tomorrow is April Fool's Day. Uh Uh-oh, that's right. Mike McKay's the biggest clown we have out there, that son of a gun. (laughs) Tom says, well, I knew where the story was going. I didn't believe it's true. I'm either going to be the one who's right or I'm going to be totally embarrassed while everybody else is out there. But I went anyway because I couldn't afford to take any chances. So Linda says, I went to the billboard. I'm expecting him to come down. I'm all dressed up. I'm excited. Well, they all go to the billboard in the morning, and Ron's the only one that's responding. Yeah. McKay, no answer. So they finally went up there, and they can't find him. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Wow. They searched the tent. He can't. He's gone. He's gone? Oh, shit. Well, eventually, they find him hiding under his cot with all of his clothing and everything stuffed Ah, around behind him and realized that was his plan to try, to try and, and get, get Ron to go cool. down. It's pretty smart. Yep. Well, now it's May 1983. Oh, fuck. It's a month later. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's oh, God. day 246. Well, how did this whole thing end? One word. Compromise. Ah. At the end of the you contest. You get it for six months out of the year, and I get it <laughs> six months out of the year. <laughs> or you got one room, I get the other. <laughs> it's like the odd couple yeah. that will share your wife. <laughs> because yeah. mine left me for staying up here too long. Love it. Well, at the end of the contest, the DJs, they weren't even really allowed to talk about the contest anymore. Right. They were they had pre-programmed things they were supposed to say about the contest. Oh, I see. So, um the the idea is we wanted to bring it to an amicable amicable yeah, yeah, conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, WSAN has got national TV talking about the contest. Okay. Other radio stations are calling them saying, hey, can you come on the air and come talk about your contest? So at this point, a third party comes in to try and mediate this whole thing. Okay. Sacramento, Sacramento uh, promoter, the West Coast whiz, no. Jerry Gaffney. So he comes in. And he tries to mediate. But of course, before they mediate, they got to go on all the talk shows. Yeah. <laughs> because West Coast Wiz, <sighs> Jerry Gaffney needs his airtime, just yeah. like early Gene Worley. Yeah. So on May 4th, Harold Fulmer walked up to the top of the billboard. With him were an aide, attorney, and WSAN's <laughs> Gene Early Worley. WSAN. Bearing a contract. Uh-huh. If both men would come down, each would get a mobile home. Okay. Besides that, two automobiles. What? Chevy Chevettes. Oh, I mean, come on. And also a trip to the Bahamas. Yeah. And a trip to Vegas. Guys, what? Why? Dude, you honestly <laughs> could have just given them the fucking trailer and they would have just been like, yeah, no problem. Well. But I guess they're like, all right, we really need to get this deal done. Well, here's what's interesting about this. They do to the deal. Yeah, but they went up and begrudgingly. They, they do. Well, they, they want to be the winner. It must have been begrudgingly because the contract was offered in May on day two forty six, but they don't come down until June seventeenth. What? No, June seventh, day two sixty one. Okay, so a whole month. No, nah, I, mean, I mean sixteen they, days more. I guess. Well, does it take? No, I guess they had to like figure it out with the lawyers. They had and to, shit. Yeah, they had to make sure this guy that they're not trying to get bamboozled. Right. 
and you right from Ted ga- yeah. Ten Gallon Hat Fulmer. Yeah, so you got to get your your lawyer to make sure that it's good, or send it in, have it faxed, yep. sign it. Okay. Well, after nine months, the contest officially ended. In a hell time. yeah, baby. So hey, hey, hopefully, I mean that's a pretty good testament. They're like, all right, nine months. Yeah, we get get my wife pregnant, not have to show up, go up onto the billboard. Nine months, come back, perfect. It's Gene early whirly in the morning. The WSAN Love Homes love to live with you billboard contest on 1470 WSAN. And we have a winner. <laughs> it's official. Linda says, I get all dressed up and go down there and it's crowded. There are people everywhere. It was really hard to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Well, at about five after nine, they took their tents down yeah. and walked down their ladders simultaneously until they both placed a foot on the ground at the exact <laughs> same moment. One small step for man. <laughs> One giant step backwards yeah. for humanity. One giant shit for man. It went on for nine months. They sat on this sign for nine damn months. And the prizes, I mean, again, substantial. We broke it down, 18000 so it was like fifty four grand. You know, Fucking 3X great. that. Plus so, the two automobiles, right? Dude. Yep. Trip you know. to the Bahamas, trip to Hawaii. Yeah, I ran the total math, yeah. and it's seventy-five grand a piece. Fucking great, dude. Yeah, nine months, seventy-five grand. Would you even do that this for seventy-five even, grand? Even this day and age, I'd do I that. don't think so. I one hundred percent do nine okay. months. That means I get three months to do or four months. Five, four, you three, would four smoke $75,000 worth of pot <laughs> and in nine months yeah. and cigarettes. Yeah. You would come out a net loser Dude. on that deal. I mean, if they allowed me to take... Yeah. Anyway, go on. Uh, what, your neck high driving bong? Yep. All right. Imagine the bong just from the bottom all the way up. I just have some. Oh, yeah. I'm Gravity not, bongs. I'm not technically in possession of the weed then. Yeah, the weed's just true. at the that's bottom. The weed's at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> they, they light it for me, dude. I'm just getting the smoke, officer. Here, I'll sell you some of this smoke. <laughs> Ron says, I wanted a mobile home, manufactured home, and that's what I got. Plus extra, so I'm happy. McKay, I had to come down sooner or later. Man. I didn't know how I was going to do it. Well, they're heroes. You know, yeah, they okay. came down on their own terms. Yeah. Reporter. Once back on Mother Earth, it was off to WSAN, where yes, Kistler and McKay man. were served. A champagne breakfast, courtesy of contest sponsor Harold Fulmer, <laughs> who is more than pleased with the success. Yeah, it of must. Have, they must promotion. have made a fucking buco bucks. They did not. Oh, really? They, ended they up, did not. Ended up being a loser. They. They. That's said, bad advertisement. They claim there was no significant improvement in ratings or advertising <clears throat> result of the contest. Interesting. Yeah, that means that their departments are doing something wrong there. Because then they so. must have spent a shit ton of money just feeding these guys. Well, no, they 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 had to pay the food themselves. That was the wives bringing over the food. Oh, that wasn't the contest. Whoa. The co- they just provide the ship boxes. Oh, yeah. Fuck that, then. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you got to pay for your own food. I thought they're. I mean, you have for to pay food. for your own food if you're going to live anyway. I mean, no, but I thought they're paying for the food. No, oh. no, it's ain't the army. Uh, uh-uh. I figured they were. So, Harold says that it was a success. Obviously, we did very, very well in that area. But then, of course, like I said, they came out with the numbers and said we didn't increase, you know, subscriptions. I don't don't know if I believe that. Yeah, they might be full of shit. Um, So, they show Mike McKay 
If uh, it's internationally known by all these people, how are how, how are ad, ad revenues not going up? Because they only had a fifty mile radius anyway. That's a good point. Okay, <laughs> that's a great. They, that's a great fucking point. They can't go that uh, far anyway. If somebody wants to listen, to you them. know what? Amazing point. Yeah. So anyway, um, they show a film, uh, a newsreel of Mike McKay. The next city isn't even fifty miles <laughs> over. Jesus Christ, Mike McKay. Uh, walks into his mobile home, classic holding the bride over the threshold yeah, oh part. Oh, God. And he goes, I hope I'm not entering another contest. <laughs> so um, from now on, this billboard will look like any other that you might pass along the highway. But what happened on this particular billboard is just what the sign says. Unforgettable. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> so the director says, so Mike, who really won in this whole thing? And Mike says, that's a great question. Who's the winner? You know, well, certainly we brought attention to our radio station, so they won. Gene says, the one thing I think all the time is war of the worlds fiasco. Okay, that was the single biggest event in radio history. I would have to think that the Billboard contest ranks in the top 10, if not possibly second. Yeah, I mean, I can't even think of another one. It has to be up there. But... It was the most poorly executed contest. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I guess another one would be um, JFK versus uh, Nixon. That was a radio contest? It wasn't a radio contest, but it was like radio history. No, I think what you're thinking of are the televised debates. Oh, it was actually the opposite. That's right. Yeah. The televised. Yeah. Oh, fuck them. Yeah. The, 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 people, the people who listened to him on the radio said that Nixon won, but the people who watched it said... JFK Correct. one, yeah. Because that he was the like first... Shit. Well, he had flop sweat all yeah. over his brow. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first televised, I think, presidential debate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. fucking He's, retarded. He, he looks like he just has like a garden hose of water yeah, streaming I, out I, of I his fucking yeah. collar. Um, <sighs> so how'd you like the doc? What do you give the We're doc? We're still going. Oh, my bad. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ned Tedder, he says, agrees with Gene. He says it was the worst... Uh, and best radio promotion of all time. Yeah. It was a wonderful, amazing idea, but it became the beautiful failure or magnificent success or a clustered, wonderful thing. Yeah. Beautiful disaster. The interviewer, uh, uh, excuse me, they interview the owner of Love Homes. He says, people say to me all the time, did this give you a lot more business because you did this promotion? And I tell them in this sort of way, it brought attention to our industry. I don't think we got all that much more business out of it. It's sort of like peeing your pants if you're wearing a dark blue suit. Okay. Nobody really notices, but it gives you that nice, warm feeling. Who the fuck are these guys (laughs) with their analogies? There's some 1920s analogies. I I don't know. I like pissing on myself. Yeah. Well, what did Dalton Young get? Can't forget about Dalton. So we see him in a vintage interview, and he says, well, if I'm acquitted... Oh, to, fuck me. Uh, he's still this guy the went trial. to jail, these cocksucker, dude. <laughs> he said, he fuck these guys. I'm supposed to get a color TV. He's still in jail from nah, 1980. No, 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 oh. no. This is the vintage okay, interview. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> what the fuck? laws were brutal back <laughs> then. shit. So he says, uh, if I'm acquitted, I'm supposed to get a color TV, 19 inches, 
a year's free rent in an apartment somewhere oh, that nice. Mr. Fulmer owns. Yeah, you know? well, whatever. I mean, so, fuck it. Who cares? A one-bedroom apartment and three months' worth of McDonald's food. Ah, I mean, pretty good. <laughs> I mean, pretty I guess. Good, dude. I guess if you don't want to shit right for pretty three good. months, it's uh, a great it's deal. Pretty good. Um, he was found guilty of possession. Ah, fucking guy. He was found guilty of delivery. And he was found guilty of possession of paraphernalia. Well, you're not supposed to, if you're not supposed to have it up there, then I mean, come on. Well, you sound like the fucking cop. Well, I mean, he got six months probation uh, and a hundred dollar fine. Uh, he still has a felony on his record. Uh, so, so no TV. <laughs> <laughs> no TV. <laughs> he didn't get the TV and shit then. Did they get? They gave they him gave that it too. Shit. Okay, yeah, yeah. because you said if found, <laughs> if acquitted. That's right. I mean, it technically, it doesn't say that he got it. So who fucking I mean, knows? I don't know if he may have not Maybe. It, dude. <laughs> <laughs> fucking ruined my life, that? dude. Fucking 20 bucks uh, for the pot. You lose seven months of your life. <laughs> and all you have to show for it is an opposing WMMR t shirt from the other company. I hope they gave him that fucking TV. Yeah. Oh, oh, fuck me. And all the hash browns he could eat in three months. <laughs> he says, well, these things happen. This guy's a McRib guy. You know, I mean, you live, you learn. That's the way I look at it. I learned to be more careful. Well, uh, today, Dalton Young is, uh, ironically, an addiction counselor in the Allentown area. Um, cool. So the director says, tell us about your life 30 years later. And he says, you know, it's just like when I was up in that billboard. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, I was single. I was lonely. <laughs> I was kind of cut off from people and detached. And big, it's kind of where I am now. Big fucking pothead. Nah, you know, anymore, I guess. But there's people in my life I care about and they care about me. And I think that's what's really important. You know, I think that's what it's all about. It's not so much what we have, but you know who we have. I think more than anything. And that's really important. He's right. Yeah. Uh, Mike McKay, any guesses? Uh, still living in that trailer. Dead. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> makes sense. Most of those cigarette butts yeah. were under Mike, just yeah, so you yeah, know. Okay. Right in the... <laughs> so, <laughs> Linda says the contest was probably the most important thing that ever happened to him in his life. Of course. When the lights went off, when the microphones were turned off, and everybody went away, all Mike had was a car and a mobile phone. Mike wanted more. Mike was looking for stardom. He was looking to be a personality who would live the billboard story for the rest of his life. <laughs> and everybody would tell Mike McKay's story. There would be books. There would be movies. Documentaries. All of it. Podcasts. Yes. <laughs> Linda says, you know, he wanted that high that he had up there. I like what she did there. <laughs> it wasn't there. And it affected him. He was just never able to come back down to earth. Yes, <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. She didn't say that. Yeah. He was <laughs> so gay. He was never able to get right back into the swing of things. His spirit wasn't the same after that. Yeah. And in the end, the way that it affected Michael. It ended up affecting our marriage, which ultimately had to do with our breakup. Ah, so it wasn't worth it to me. That's what she says. Yeah. So Dalton, you know, he says it's kind of tough. You know, you had a bond with somebody, 
And for him to go out at a young age at like 53 or 54, he's really sad about it. So Mike McKay died of heart complications in 2006 at the age of 53. His obituary referred to himself as Billboard Mike. So that's kind of a win. Cool. Uh, Ron Kistler. Uh, Ned says it was a means to an end for him. And now that it's all over now, uh, you know, Ron's like, I'm going to go live my life. Uh, whereas Mike McKay, he says, I think it was an end. And with Dalton, I'm not really sure. Right. I think Dalton was <clears throat> mind controlled by the army personally. Probably. Ron, uh, the contest was coming to an end and I knew we were going to come down. I tried to get it into our media, into the media, get it out that I was looking for a job, a truck driving job. And then I got a job through Mr. Fulmer. Nice. So Harold told him personally, he says, you need a job. You come to me and I'll give you a job. And he was a painter nice. and he painted all the apartments um, when they weren't vacant. All thousand right. one that this guy owned. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they said he just liked working by himself and he was that type of guy. Um, Ron did it for 10 years, uh, painting apartments and doing maintenance. He does recall that he got laid off on New Year's Eve. <laughs> Lame. Yeah. It's fucking gay. He lived in his love home for 20 years and then traded it in for another house, got married, and had a daughter. Oh, that's nice. According to Ned, Ron Kistler, he gets the girl, he gets the house, he gets the job, he wins. That's not a bad ending to a Rust Belt fairy tale, is it? Well, at this point, Dalton and Ron hadn't seen each other since the day the contest ended. So they reunite. And they go over to Ron's house and, you know, have a couple beers. So that's kind of a nice feeling to end the documentary with. Um, nice. Yeah. Neil says, these three guys, as sad as it made me feel to see them going through what they were going through, it really showed some kind of great spirit about people trying to get through tough times. Maybe what I would call the best aspect of who we are as Americans and then the characters that revolve around it. You really just can't make stuff up like this. Yeah. Uh, Jeff continues and says, the stunts go, it was just that, it was a stunt. But it was a stunt that represented the time. Tom, the local newspaper guy, he's a great character too. He says, we always have these kinds of benchmarks, these touchstones, and I think for the economic crisis of that time, the billboard contest is one of those touchstones. Well, my friends, well, we did it. Well, we weren't just marking time. We did it. We marched the whole damn parade. All in all, not bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, they asked that. Yeah, the director says, hey, would you do it again? Ron's like, eh, yeah, let's go do it right eh. now. <laughs> he was like, eh. Dalton says, Absolutely. Oh, these motherfuckers loved it. Uh -huh. <laughs> but he they says, loved it. He says, I would not deal drugs to an undercover cop. No. So that's the uh, the end of it. Um, a couple qu uh, notes that I have. I don't know if it came across your mind, but they they went a mobile home, but they never really say, well... Where they, where they can put it? Yeah. So my question is, do you think that included the land? Because the land's the biggest price that you're up against when you're buying property. Isn't it for the most well, part? I mean, I mean it depends. I, most people who buy mobile homes, they go into mobile home parks. Right. So it's so probably like cheap. Maybe it's like you get yeah. a couple years subscription to a park. Right. Well, um, there was one report that I came across. Um, Mike McKay in 1990 made minor headlines because he told the press that he cheated during the contest. 
and had climbed down once to get a beer. Okay. Um, who so cares? who cares? Yeah, <laughs> they did say minor headlines. Yeah, literally, who cares? <laughs> okay. So here's the thing. This is a this is a very very well made documentary. Nice. Um, I'm glad to hear that. I feel like on a topic like this, yeah, where the topic is so abstract, the documentary better be good, uh-huh. or else you lose the like in a like in a like in a, a one like a holy cow or some of these other ones where the story yeah. is so amazing. It doesn't yeah. matter what the documentary yeah. is. I feel like this. So I'm glad to hear that it was well made. Yeah, and it was actually made into a feature film a couple of years ago as well. Eric Roberts was in it. Huh. I remember the first time I watched it, and I'm like, this is an amazing Oh, movie. was it Tag? <laughs> no, it was not uh, Tag. Okay, Shout okay. out Rob McKittrick, good friend of ours. <laughs> yeah. We'll give him some respect. Um, no, but I mean, um, I didn't see it, uh, but I'm curious to see it. But, you know, I I think it just kind of was like a, a blip in the night. It's already yeah. in and out of the theaters. I don't even know if it got a theatrical huh. release. It's fascinating when you see that they did this for $10,000. That's nothing, wow. you know? Um, so yeah. am I recommending it? Yeah, I'm giving it three dockings. Nice. Um, there's nothing really holding back this film. It's very, very well done. I love it. Um, is it a four-star, like, you know... Big bar and steel to get your butt in the seat to see. No, but it's also like I said, it's something that you want to turn on when you want to feel good about life. So yeah, it's a three docking. So uh, as always, if you enjoyed today's show, or if you're just discovering down on the docks, Dave, tell them where they can find us. You can find us at down on the docks everywhere uh, except for on Instagram, which we are down on the docks pod. If you want to send us an email, down on the docks at gmail.com. And, of course, we are on Discord. You can find the link on any one of our episodes down below in the bio. Special thanks this week to President-Elect Dude for a great suggestion, uh, we, which we will be covering, as well as Crimson.Red13 and Grant underscore Mastercraft and CryptoJ from Twitter. If you don't mind, give me a little bit more music so I can give you just two more stanzas from... Allentown. Well, our fathers fought the Second World War, spent their weekends on the Jersey Shore, met our mothers in the USO, asked them to dance, dance with them slow, and we're living here in Allentown. Da 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 da. So stupid. I love it. Um, all right, that's it. That's a wrap. We'll see you next week for episode 26. Take it easy and have a great week. We'll see you in the Discord. Discord.